find you my missing puzzle piece I'm complete I was just Two Daydream Believers podcast. I'm your host, Space Urban 18. And today we have a really cool uh, podcast lined up for you. And joining to me today is the lovely Black John Lennon, or you know her as K2. Um, so say hi, Kay. Hi, Kay. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here with me. Um, so, what we're doing with this podcast is we're kind of looking at. Um, I, you know, am a Kurt fan, um, and Kay is a Kurt fan, I mean, Berlin fan, and um, we are taking criticisms and misconceptions and critiques and, you know, conversations about these characters that have been negative or thrown around, and we're kind of dispel them or put them in context and... You know, I did a survey where where I asked you guys, you know, what you guys wanted to hear us talk about in regards to actual criticisms of the characters, and we're kind of going to hash these out. We're going to bridge the divide. Gonna, yeah, we're going to merge. Here we go. We're going to be... Bloods versus Crips, Crips Dance versus Blues. Yeah, none, none of those versus stuff anymore. Um, okay. So, the the first question I have um, here is, it was something that I kind of... Uh, looked at as a general thing, um, so it's not really in any kind of category, but um, I have from you guys, um, I do think it would be an interesting, it'd be interesting to hear criticisms of the characters from stands. What criticisms do you think are valid? What do you, or what do you think makes XYZ criticism valid and not a misconception? And I personally took this question to mean you know, when do you find something a criticism or an actual criticism of the character, and when do you find this a misconception? And I kind of look at the context in which the material is presented. If you say something like Kurt is cold and emotionless, 
Um, if you are coming from a place of, okay, in this specific instance, and this is why he is, and this is, you know, what is going on in relation to everything else, then okay, it's a valid criticism. But if you are looking at it in the, a context of, I hate this character and I need reasons to back up my hatred, then that's a misconception. You are taking, you know, this material and kind of twisting it to make, I mean, it can be a valid criticism that you want to use um, in a bad way and then it becomes a misconception. At least that's how I took the I, question. I mean, to quote the famous Whitney Houston, show me the receipts. If you're going to have a criticism, you should be able to back it up with something from canon. And I feel like a lot of times the criticisms become misconceptions when you can't back it up with something from canon. If you're going to tell me Blaine's impulsive, well, you can back that up. I can back that up. I could say that's a valid criticism because when Blaine feels afraid instead of just biting the bullet and asking the question and saying the thing to Kurt he needs to say, he acts in an impulsive way that is harmful towards himself. But if you say Blaine's an attention whore, well, first of all, as a fellow attention whore, how dare you? And second of all, you can back it up, but also why is that even a criticism? He's not hurting anybody. He's never hurt anybody um, intentionally, sent them to a crack house, you know, um, as a way to get the attention that he wants. So why is that a bad thing? And I think that's where it becomes a misconception or invalidated when you can't take something from canon and make it and use it as evidence to back up your criticism. Or when you're taking something from canon or putting a negative connotation of it on it that you know was not the intent of the writers. But that's a conversation for later, probably. <laughs> yeah, I think also... Um... You know, there's this misconception that, you, you know, if you love a character, you can't be critical of it. And I think that's unfortunate. I think that if you love something, you can see it, you know, for all that it is, its flaws, with its benefits, with, you know, you know, you can take Kurt and I love him because he is a fully fleshed out character because he does so many wonderful things. And yet he makes a lot of mistakes as well. And that makes a a, a good character in my eyes. And, you know, I, I just don't, when you get so caught up in my, you know, subject of my standing is perfect and wonderful and nobody can criticize it for anything. Um, then I think it becomes, um, unhelpful and that leads to, well, my person is always right. Your person is wrong just by default. And that is where a lot of these, divides within fandom started happening and it stops the conversation. Um, the inability to look at another person's point of view completely stops the conversation and nobody really benefits from that. We just become giant echo chambers being angry about one thing and being overly, you know, uh, idolizing the other thing. And I don't know. It just, I just feel like what in the, like, participation trophy hell is this where something has to be perfect where everything has to be you know you can't say anything bad about a character without getting attacked or you can't possibly like a character if you 
think anything they've done ever was negative. Like, what the hell? Like, have you never been, have you never criticized anything that you love? Because I feel like if you love something, you should be able to see it for the good and the bad and what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes the flaws of a character are the most interesting parts of them. Like, I never loved Blaine more than I did in season four. And he fucked up big time. But out of that fuck up came such an amazing story. And I learned so much about him as a character because he made a huge, huge mistake. And that's how I feel about almost every... Let me put it like this. Do you know what my favorite... And this is going to sound so nerdy. My favorite chapter out of any Harry Potter book is the one where Ron comes back after he left them because of the characterization of Ron in that situation. I love that Ron left them because Ron is my favorite character in the books and he needed to fuck up that bad to really understand. You know what I mean? Like those... Every show I watch, it's like when the character fucks up is when I love them the most. Well, yeah, I mean, if you have somebody that's completely perfect in every way, you don't have any kind of inner conflict or any kind of arc, and it makes it very interesting. Yeah, if your character never changes, like Sue Sylvester, it gets boring so fast. You know, and it's funny because on the flip side of it, there are the people that overly criticize things, and, and it's those, it's frustrating when you just see this unvalidated criticism because you want to hate, you already dislike something so if you already dislike something you're going to find all of its flaws just stop if you stop liking a thing stop wasting time on it stop watching it, stop reading it stop surrounding yourself with it you'll be happier in the long run you will be, and I know people are like, well I still love love this thing I'm like, okay, well then love the parts that you like but when you become obsessively, or, you know, your hatred becomes an obsession, then I think you really do need to take a step back and reevaluate what you're doing, so. When Grey's Anatomy had the ghost sex, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I hated it. I hated every single episode. And I stopped watching it for, like, two years. Because I was like, I'm not going to waste my Thursday nights on something that makes me angry. Not when there's other stuff I could be watching. And so, I don't get hate watching. I used to hate read certain blogs, and then after a while I was like, I don't even like this person, and I disagree with everything they say. Why am I going to their blog specifically to read the horrible things they're saying about Blaine? I'm just making myself upset. Exactly. Exactly. So, um... (laughs) And yet we open the door to this, right, with this. But no, the point is that we are going to actually <laughs> confront some of this stuff. So um, I, we're going to go, we've broken this down into different sections. Um, and I put Kurt first because he is the best. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Because there's more Kurt's story. Kurt was our gateway into the whole claim thing anyway. No Kurt, no claim. Yeah. So, okay, so Kurt, and the number one really huge criticism that I got from the survey was that Kurt's selfish, and um, I'm not going to say no. I think there are a lot of instances that he can be very self-involved, and even in Audition, which I just watched, he said 
that he was one of the most involved people that he knows. Um, however, some of your examples I have right in front of me, so we're going to go through these because I do have a little bit of disagreement with some of this stuff. So, um, Kurt is always out for himself and Blaine follows. For example, if Kurt's dream, it was Kurt's dream to be at Niata in New York, it didn't look like Blaine featured, was featured or consulted during the decision-making process. Well, okay. First of all, let me remind you guys of New York. And when Kurt went to New York with Rachel, he says that he talked it over with Blaine and they're both going to New York. Blaine's on board. Blaine's <laughs> on board. The thing is, I, I, you know, there are about 87 characters on the show. And we can't see every single conversation that every one of them has. But in everything that I've seen, in the discussions that Blaine has with Sam about the future they created, about Santana, um, you know, talking about what, she, you know, she, Kurt has said about um, stuff when they're together in season five, all points to the fact that they are having conversations about their future together. And both of them love performing they, as of season two, said they were going to New York together. Anything that Kurt has decided, Blaine has made a decision for himself to do those things as well. And it takes away Blaine's agency to suggest that he's just a lap dog that follows Kurt around. Right. Uh, in my understanding, and I can't even think of an example that negates this off the top of my head, that you know, anytime Kurt goes somewhere, Blaine follows on his own accord. That's his decision. Um, yeah. And, and they did talk about it. I mean, I know they have communication issues. We'll talk about that much later, but th they talked about it. So that one, I don't. And Niata, even though I think Niata is a scam school, like, it wouldn't surprise me if there were commercials that were like, that came on during daytime television, like 1-800-Niata. You know, like one of those schools. But even though I think it's a scam school, it's supposedly, sarcastic quotes, you know, the big performing arts school. And Blaine, as we know, has won more show choir competitions than anybody in that room. So why wouldn't Blaine, the performer, want to go to Niata? Exactly. Okay. Second comment, I guess. Kurt is very unwilling <laughs> to look at things from someone else's perspective. And that sort of makes him appear as uncaring. Kurt looks at situations and makes decisions based on how he will be affected. Oftentimes, he doesn't try to understand why something happened. I don't want to say that Kurt is self-centered because I know that's not true, but I can't really think of another word to explain what I mean. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, while Kurt loves and cares about his friends and family, his number one priority is himself. And when he directly impacted, he's directly impacted by something, it's hard, to see, hard for him to see a different point of view. Also, when he has a strong feelings about something, either positive or negative, it almost consumes him to the point that he can't concentrate on anything or anyone else. Okay. Here's the thing. Here's something about Kurt's character that I think it is very important to remember. Kurt, for a long time, was by himself. He's an only child. Didn't have any siblings. I was about to say that I was literally in my head going, only child only child the only homo on his family no he's an only child he never had to share he never had to share he had an entire basement to himself 
But on top of that, here is a kid who has been bullied for most of his life. So he has to put himself first or else it kind of like that. That's his self-defense mechanism right there. That's how he reacts to the world. Like he has to look for himself first because no one else is going to. He's never had anybody, you know, really stand up for him until Finn came along and you know, he's so used to doing things on his own that it's an automatic response to, you know, put his own needs before others. Now, in certain contexts, no, that's not great. That's not a great thing to do. In other contexts, you can see why, you know, he's done this. Um, I think with this person, they were, they were um, talking about, they had more about tested and I promise you guys, we're not going to go into it tonight, but I will go into Tested in depth and in deep detail when we get to Tested, because I do think there is a lot of conversation there that's way more complex than me saying yes or no to these the, this, this comment. Um, I think if that's Tested, if you want to draw a parallel, then I would maybe say, like, dance with somebody. Or blame it on the alcohol where he had a really hard time seeing a point of view that wasn't his own. Um, but again, he's an only child. He's never had... See, the thing that when you grow up with siblings, you always have someone else you have to consider in a lot of decisions. You have to learn how to share. You have to learn that what's yours is not always going to be yours. That just because you want quiet doesn't mean you're going to get it. And, you know... It's a whole lot more give and take. But not only is Kurt an only child, but when we meet Kurt and Bert, they're living very separately. And so, you know, he really, and he was taking care of his dad. Like Bert said, he shut down when Kurt's mom died. So the only other person Kurt's really ever looked out for was Bert. And even then with Bert, there were times where Kurt had a hard time seeing his point of view. You know, and I think we have, A, Kurt's a very particular person. He likes things the way he likes them. That may be, because he's an only child, it may be also just part of his personality. But when you add on the only child and the loss of his mom and the bullying, of course he has a hard time understanding other people's point of view. That's something he didn't really have to do until he was 16, 17 years old. Yeah. And that can be a hard thing. I mean, and I don't think he necessarily always, like, yeah, there are times, like, blaming in the alcohol that he was, like, very single-focused on, like, you know, not really understanding Blaine's point of view. But I also think that, you know, it's not always true. I, I do think he's very much, you know caring for those that he does love. I mean, he does, you know, he does things for Bert all the time. He's always watching out for Bert. He cares very deeply for Mercedes and Rachel. And with Blaine, after, for example, after the breakup, after the first breakup, they get back together. Kurt makes a point to support Blaine in his endeavors. He makes a point to call him and talk to him every day. He makes it a point to reestablish that communication that was missing and that led up to the first breakup. So yeah, I, I just, yeah, I don't know. That's I agree. how I feel about that. <laughs> so, 
like I said, and I, I like I said, this person's example was um, later uh, fleshed out more and tested. Again, tested is a very complex, very big knot to untangle that does deserve its own conversation. So, how can okay, this one's worded a little weird, so I have to reword it so it makes sense. How can Kurt go from thinking about suicide to being inconsiderate of Blaine's insecurities? He wasn't even trying to understand Blaine during the New York episodes, which always bothered me. If he did, he would see how the showcase helped Blaine overcome his insecurity problems. Okay, um, that's, that's, like... I'm having a hard time seeing how one thing has to do with... Right, I was gonna say, it's almost comparing apples to oranges there. Um, I, you know, I, I, first of all, I, Kurt, being somebody who did think of suicide at an earlier point in his life, is very different from feeling that Kurt needs to be responsible for Blaine's insecurities. Those are just two different things. Kurt is not responsible for how Blaine feels about Blaine. Were there opportunities where Kurt could have been a little more in tune and and hopefully should have noticed that Blaine was going through things? Maybe. But also, he was, what, 1920, depending on your idea of the timeline and your headcanon for what year Kurt was even born, and we won't get into that. Um, It's a learning thing. But only Blaine is responsible for how Blaine feels about Blaine, and only Blaine is responsible for how he reacts to that. Exactly. So, had Blaine expressed, hey, I feel these dark feelings or whatnot, Kurt could have reacted to that and said, hey, I've gone through this kind of thing too, which I believe in season two they probably did have some kind of conversation along those lines. Um, But it's not something, like, like Kay said, Blaine's insecurities are Blaine's insecurities, and how Blaine deals with his insecurities are the ultimate issue. How Kurt deals, like, he needs to be told. He needs to be, and that's part of the communication stuff. Um, he can't just say, oh, you know, I automatically know this, what Blaine's thinking, because I, I don't care if you're the most communicative people on the planet you're not going to know another person as well as you know yourself. And you can't always expect somebody else to recognize how you are feeling. You have to express that in some way. And Blaine sometimes goes inward and Kurt can't always see what's going on. But when Blaine expresses that he's having insecurities, Kurt usually comes, you know, and, and expresses like, he'll try and help out. And I realized tested is, I keep coming back to this because it's, you know, tested again is its own slew of problems. So, that's um... and, and I just want to say, and I don't know if this comes from maybe parts of fandom that are a lot younger and maybe don't have a lot of relationship experience, but no matter how much you love someone and how much you want to, you can't fix them. So even if Blaine had, a, had said this to Kurt, Kurt can't fix Blaine. Blaine can't fix Kurt. You can't love someone so much that they all of a sudden don't have depression, don't have anxiety, aren't insecure. So many relationships fail because people think that love should be enough to fix the other person. And let me tell you how much that is not the case. So there's nothing Kurt could have done regardless of the fact that he was suicidal at one point in his life. 
And it it really bugs me that it was like, well, Kurt considered suicide once, so he should have been able to fix Blaine, is almost how that feels. And that's just not how it works. Blaine needed professional help. Kurt probably needed professional help. I mean, honestly, I think we all need professional help. But you cannot fix someone, especially when you're 19 and your own brother just died and your dad had a cancer scare and you lost your mom when you were eight and you can't fix yourself because you don't have the tools. How are you going to fix someone else? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, I also, on a kind of lighter note, they write, um, the showcase helped Blaine overcome his insecurity problems. And I'm kind of like, oh, is that what that arc was about? You know, I've never really, like... didn't see that up. Yeah, so, I, I don't know. Anyway, um, we can talk about that when we talk about Untitled Rachel Berry Project. But, um, I, you know, I think that, well, in that specific instant, I do think Kurt was very supportive of all of the June Dalloway stuff. Kurt was so supportive. The issue in that situation was the dishonesty, which we'll get to when we get to, you know, season five. But Kurt was actually, I was kind of surprised at how well Kurt took it, because even I would have been like, wait a minute, even I would have been pissed. You know, because, you know, this was my, you know, I invited you to do this thing with me, and let me, here, let me tell you a story. Everyone in fandom knows that I love Amber Riley. I fucking love Amber Riley. I admire her when I was really depressed and I lost my job, and I was following her on Instagram, and she, like, following her kind of helped me get myself out of this, like, dark place I was in. I just idolize her. Her last live show before she went to London, um, I took my sister and one of our best friends. And my sister is quite, she's quite smaller than me. And she weaseled her way to the front because some really tall Amazonian bitch, she was an asshole, stood in front of us. My sister couldn't see anything. So some other girls that we've been chatting with kind of grabbed my sister and pushed her up to the front. And so Amber goes, I want somebody to come up here and dance with me. My sister's hand shoots up. She's dead ass in front of the stage. Amber pulls my sister on the stage, and they dance together. And then Amber hugs her. And I was seething. Seething! To this day, I'm sometimes like, are you fucking shitting me? My sister goes, I danced with Amber. And I'm like, oh, fuck you. But like, so if Kurt had had that same reaction to the June situation, I feel like I would have understood that because I was like, this was my thing. And you got the attention from it. And I'm just kidding. I love my sister, but I'm still totally jealous that she danced on stage with Amber and that Amber hugged her. But that's the point, Kay, that you still love your sister. Your sister is still one of the most important people in your life. It doesn't, you know, sometimes jealousy is there, but it doesn't negate all of the positive feelings you have for your sister. It's a human emotion. It's okay. It's how you react to the jealousy that matters, not that you feel it at all. Right. Okay, so um, the criticism that Kurt is sometimes, or it's Kurt is called, or it, Kurt is considered manipulative, like he's a Machiave- Machiavellian jerk. This is funny to me because I was trying to think about times that Kurt's actually manipulated the situation, and a majority of them are in season one. Huh? Uh, I yeah. th- I can think of you know the stuff with Rachel and hairography, the stuff with Finn in Ballad, and then 
and this is just funnier when um, he the stuff in transitioning when he he manipulates that little wheel thing to land on him. And maybe getting Bert and Carol together, but even that didn't go how he planned. Oh uh, well, that's yeah, I guess so. First of all, Kurt you know, is really bad at manipulating people. Okay, he really is so not good obvious. at it. <laughs> He's so obvious. <laughs> He's like, it's not. I could have seen him manipulate that wheel. <laughs> He really is not great at it. That's why I'm always like, I don't get Slytherin Kurt. I don't get it. Because he's I he's so like fail when he's when it comes to that kind of stuff. He's no evil mastermind at all. No, he's really not. He's he I mean, there are times that he is manipulative, but he's just so bad at it. He's not a he I, I think that he is an intelligent character and he can be clever. Um, but, like, you know, completely manipulating, like, the situations to always go and turn out the way. I, no, not necessarily. I'm, I'm trying to... Th- also, the thing about hierography is that Rachel looked fucking hot. It was just the opposite of what Finn was attracted to. But she, she looked amazing. We're in Ballad, I mean, this stuff kind of, like, the whole thing kind of blows up in Kurt's face when Quinn's, you know, kicks, you know... That's the other thing. Like, you want to be... Like, that was a bad thing that Kurt did because Quinn got kicked out of her parents' house because, you know, um, Finn sang that song and kind of, like, expressed that she was pregnant and that was Kurt's idea. But it's funny... I don't know how much longer she thought she was going to be able to hide it. No, that's... It's just funny that a lot of people so many times focus on, you know, 90% issues with, you know... Blaine, or sometimes, sometimes Rachel, but I'm like, he has been not a great character to other people, too. <laughs> yeah, he's done, his treatment of Mercedes and his substitute is um, a sore spot for me when it comes to Kurt as well. So, he has, I mean, he's done some things that aren't nice, but I wouldn't go as far to say he's Machiavellian. Yeah, no, and he has not sent anybody to a crack house, and for the most part, because it's so funny because he, he, you know, I'll get to the St. Kurt stuff in a minute, but like, yeah, he, he does have a darker side to him at times and he does like things to go his way. He does like to be in control of things. Honestly, that's the most only child spoiled Brett thing is I'm not getting my way and I'm going to have a tantrum and do something terrible until you give me what I want. It's like those kids used to come into my Build-A-Bear and just throw themselves on the ground until they got the bear they wanted. Yeah, but, um, but you know, he's definitely, I, I would not, he's just fail at that a lot of times, which makes me laugh, so. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so here's this one. You know what? I'm going to give this as a legitimate criticism, and I'll express a little bit why. Uh, he never says that he's sorry for anything. He doesn't. That's 100% true. And he doesn't. The only time I ever hear, I was, I was really, I've been paying attention, I've been trying to come up, and there's only once that I can remember that he's ever just flat out said, I'm sorry. And that was to Mercedes in um, Home when he says, I'm sorry for pushing her to, lo- you know, lose the weight or whatever. That's the only time. He's never apologized to his dad, he's never apologized to Blaine, which, you know, doesn't, how does Blaine feel about Never to Rachel. He actually owed Mercedes another apology later on because of the substitute, but again, the show wanted us to believe that whatever 
is a writer's thing. I mean, he's Kurt yeah. is an apologetic, unapologetic character. That's just how he is. I do think there are other ways that he shows that he's sorry, though. I just assume that he took that stupid movie literally when it said love means never having to say you're sorry. I think that, um, but I think that Kurt will show he's sorry. I'm trying to think of some examples, and I'm really being really bad. I should have thought of this better before we started, but. Um, because there are none. No way. <laughs> I, I think, though, like, no, he doesn't say he's sorry, but it doesn't mean he isn't sorry or that he doesn't feel sorry or, you know, he doesn't show remorse for things because he does. But no, he doesn't really say sorry. Um, how does Blaine feel about that? I, I don't know. Okay, how does Blaine feel about that? I think by the time they've been married for ten years, he's used to it. And Kurt will like bake him cookies or something. Like I, I you know, I don't know. I mean, you can headcanon that he has ways to show him, you know, dirty, filthy, naked ways. But sometimes you just got to say the words. Yeah. It's something that, you know, he's got to work on. Yeah. So. Okay, um, another criticism, often from um, anti-Kurt fans, is uh, that Kurt doesn't love Blaine or doesn't love him enough. Sometimes it's from the Kurt Ouch. fans who think that... I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel that way a couple of times. Um, that I didn't feel that maybe Blaine liked Kurt more than Kurt liked Blaine or Blaine needed Kurt more than uh, Kurt needed Blaine. I'd be lying if I said that I didn't feel that way um, on occasion. I think season six kind of fixed, you know, kind of changed my mind a little bit, but. The thing here that I always go into is that these two have very, very different ways that they show that they love something or someone. Um, Blaine seems to me very outspoken in his gestures of love. Kurt, when he loves something, he loves it very deeply. Um, not that Blaine doesn't, but like Kurt is a very internal person. And, and think about, I think of like season four and his love for Blaine was there. And, and in season six too, his love for Blaine was always there, but it was always very, you know, he, he didn't talk about it with other people. He didn't express... I I think some people have a hard time with that. Like, for example, my best friend kid does not, cannot say it, but like she had a bad dream where I was, where I like got eaten by a zombie or something. And the next day I woke up to a text and she was like, you're not allowed to die. And so for, from her, that's, I love you. Like that's the most she's going to say. And so I think that Kurt may be very similar in that way that, you know, once you get to know him and understand it about him, you'll understand that, like, if you come home and he's made, he's, you know, set up your workspace. That's Kurt for I love you. Yep. Yep. It's, it's some, and it's something that maybe because I identify it that way too. I'm not going to be there, you know, screaming from the mountaintops. I love this person or whatnot. It's going to be very deep, but very quiet you know, expression. I mean, like, look at Kurt's fantasies, like, in season four. He is dreaming, of, you know, of, like, come what may was his fantasy, which is deeply romantic and very, you know, it, there was a lot of very strong and deep feelings for, for Blaine. And then in season six, 
he's also dreaming about, you know, Cart. God, I keep saying it wrong. He's dreaming about playing in Jagged Little Tapestry. Like, I wonder how much their upbringings have to do with that. Like, I wonder if Bert is, I mean, Bert is the kind of dad that, like, you know how, like, Bert loves you. He's taking care of you. He's looking after you. He's making sure you're safe. You don't have to say, he doesn't say it all the time, but, like, you feel it and you know it. And so that's kind of how Kurt grew up. And then I always imagine that Blaine, perhaps his family, you know, doesn't communicate very well and he needs to hear things flat out because he's he's not used to like kind of, he's very insecure about how people feel about him. And so he needs to hear the words because he's used to people being unreliable and, you know, saying one thing and acting another way or you know, doing one thing one day and, and not having this kind of stability that Kurt had with Bert to where he's able to know, like, in his bones that he is loved by his, his dad. But that, you know, that might just be my own head canon. but I do think sometimes those things play a role. I think also, look at how they relate to, like, for example, how they relate to sex. And Kurt, you know, having sex with Blaine, that is his way of, like, expressing how much he loves Blaine. And when Blaine cheated, that it just, you know, that is something, like, felt like, you know, that was so sacred to them. Um, it, it, you know, and vice versa when, you know, of course, like, when we had the, you know, um, emotional cheating with Chandler where, like you said, Blaine needs to hear I love you. And if, if Kurt's, you know, saying these things to other people, then it feels like a betrayal. And so, yeah, just different... Uh, they're just different people who uh, relate to different things or, or express themselves in different ways. So, um, they need different forms of affection. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> partly going off of that, Kurt didn't really want to get married in season six. He just wanted to get together with Blaine. I've also seen discussions that they would surely divorce because of communication issues, though I would try to, to demonstrate that both boys had gotten help and that, you know, that they loved each other. What is it with people and thinking that, like, these characters would not speak up for themselves? Have you ever known Kurt Hummel to just go along with something he did want to freaking do? Were we not just talking about Kurt being selfish and not doing things that other people want to do and not seeing their point of view? Like, Kurt Hummel's not just going to get married if he doesn't want to freaking get married. Sue Sylvester has never pushed him around. He would laugh in her face if he didn't want to. Because uh, the part of the comment is also that Blaine manipulates him in doing things, and then they reference the extended breakup deleted scene in Lizzie Like Me, which is a side note, which I will say in a minute. But no, I 100% agree. If Kurt Hummel didn't want to do something, he's not going to do it. And if he didn't want to be proposed to, he would have walked away. And if he didn't want to get married, he would have walked away. So When Sue said, hey, I need you to wear a dress because there's someone on vocal adrenaline that wears a dress, and Kurt's like, ha, no. Screw you, I'm not doing that. You honestly think that he's going to be like, well, I don't really want to get married, but Sue says I should get married, so okay, let's let's make a lifetime commitment and sign papers and have to do our taxes together. Like, all right, duh. 
So there, um, the, in Loser Like Me, there's an extended breakup scene, which I will probably go over uh, more detail when we talk about the episode. But um, first of all, I want to preface this with I, deleted scenes are deleted for a reason or cut down or edited for a reason. And what is actually canon is um, what is actually aired. And um, the box scene is an exception because they actually referenced it. And I can play it, make the rules myself because this is my podcast. But um, <laughs> the deleted scene, uh, the original version was much longer and it made it seem like Cart didn't want to be publicly proposed to. And it made it seem like he was not happy with Blaine at all. But also it made it just, it, it, it was so bad. It looked like somebody went to an anti-Blaine site, got some ideas and wrote them down. And I think that the reason they trimmed it was to make it seem... More, less like they hated each other because after that conversation, um, reading that conversation, and again, I'll go more into it and I'll give you guys a link if you really want one. Um, it just seemed like they neither of them liked each other because Blaine ends the conversation with saying, I hate you, and there's just no way of, of coming back from that. So, uh, it if they had aired that scene, I would have been rooting for Blaine and Mary Dave, yeah, it, yeah, even maybe I would have too. It just it was a mean conversation. And it was ungrounded in everything that had come through. That I think there was definite reason that it was cut um, or trimmed. I mean, I know we, they know they did say they filmed longer stuff, so I'm, I'm sure some version of the longer thing aired. But um, it's not canon, and I don't think. I mean, you can always talk about what ifs with these deleted scenes, but. I don't think it's really fair to actually discuss actual canon with something that is not really a canon thing. And I'm going to say this, and you can cut it out because it may not be very nice. Um, there was someone who used to be in fandom who was a Kurt Stan. I think that the only reason this person, quote-unquote, shipped clean was possibly for the fact that it me it was a very popular fandom and she had a lot of clean followers this person was god awful this person celebrated when they killed off Finn this person is was dis, was a garbage human being and really projected a lot of her own shit onto Kurt um, she was asexual, so she kind of met it that Kurt was. She was this, so she met it that Kurt was. You know, for her, the idea of a public proposal is like this epic manipulation that forces you into accepting almost as if you have Stockholm Syndrome. And she wrote it in meta in a way that, you know, it circulated. Like, this is Blaine's way of bullying Kurt into accepting his proposal and sadly unfortunately a lot of her crap got around and i don't know why no one ever called her out other than me and a handful of other people and by the way when she rejoiced about finn dying i have never in my life hated someone that i've never met more that was horrific so my opinion of this person is very bad but it yeah it was pop it was popular meta that had gone around that you know, Blaine manipulated Kurt by making sure that he would be too embarrassed to say no or something like that. Which, again, 
I know that I say I don't get Kurt Hummel, but I think I get him enough to know that no one pushes the Hummels around. And if Kurt wanted to say no, he would have said no. Yeah. Um, I do remember that meta. And while I understand the criticisms, criticisms of them getting married too young is a thing, and I agree. Um, and next point about Kurt talking about young marriage, I'll get to that in a second. There, you you can project. I mean, I know I project my own personal feelings um, onto characters. However, if your own projections of characters are getting in the way of looking at these characters objectively and within the context of their own worlds and their own personalities, then you're being too narrow-minded in your approach to analysis. And, um, Kurt loves public displays of affection. I mean, in the, like he really loved, uh, when Artie uh, sang to Brittany in for prom, he loved when the lesbians proposed to each other in Lima Bean. He loved the public wedding, uh, prom to wedding of Will and Emma. Um, there are a lot of things there and he loved his own freaking proposal. Any of the season six breakup stuff doesn't really have to do with that as it has to do with Kurt not being ready himself for the future. And again, they're not communicating, but, um, and I mean the whole time I was like, even in fandom where it was like, he's not even out of high school. My whole time I'm yelling, like, why is no one thinking of like a long engagement? I was like, and that was one of my criticisms of Blaine. Like, kid, just because you're engaged now doesn't mean you have to get married right now. I mean, people are engaged for a long, long time. The the criticism that Kurt didn't like his proposal or uh, felt manipulated into getting back together, being with Blaine, marrying Blaine, is totally invalid. He very much loves Blaine and loves being in a relationship with Blaine. And I don't care if you multi-ship or whatever it is, though that's canon, you can do whatever you want in your fandom universe, um, but it is canon, and it's not really worth discussing a whole lot, so I'm going to move on. <laughs> um, though, going off of that, I'd like you to talk about the fact that Kurt has never been a friend of early marriage. I want um, this, okay, and then I said in my notes, um, yes, he's not, he's not a fan of young marriage. He was against... Rachel and Ben get married. And, you know, he would have liked to have waited. Um, or, you know, his dream was to be married at 30 because he had a very specific plan in mind. And his plan was getting, you know, going through all these steps, doing through all these things. And that's where he was going with that. Um, his exact words were married by 30. Not married at 30. And he recognized that Finn and Rachel were kind of getting married for the wrong reasons, too. I mean, it wasn't just that they were young. It was that they were desperate. And that's why they were doing it. They were doing it out of fear. His rejection of the whole Brittany and Santana proposal was his projection of his own issues and insecurities. Which is why Santana read him for Phil. Yep. So... You know, at the end of the day, and I don't think, I think they could have written this way better than they did, but at the end of the day, Kurt comes to the realization that he loves Blaine. And um, the whole Walter speech, if you listen to it, says, you know, grab onto this now and hold on to it. And that's what he does. And when he's presented with a choice to commit to Blaine or not, in that very final way, he makes the choice, and it is his choice because he could have walked out of that room, 
Uh, that was not public. That was just the few of them. They could have gone right back out to the reception. He makes a choice to marry Blaine. And that's it. And if you think Kurt Hummel would let anybody bully him into making a lifelong commitment or decision like that, then you have no business calling yourself a fan of Kurt Hummel. And I, and I say that as someone who, who you know, doesn't always understand his character, but I understand that much. And Kurt is happy and relaxed the rest of the series. He's very okay with where he is. Do you think that Kurt would have officiated a ceremony if he thought for five seconds Kurt had a doubt? Yeah. Would he have driven Kurt to his proposal? If he thought for five seconds Kurt was... Doesn't he say we could turn around? Yep. Yep. Give, Give Kurt some credit. Give the other characters some credit. I just, I don't, I have a hard time wrapping my head around this mentality that some people have that their fave is just like completely bullied and no one treats them right. And they're just like, you know, no one loves them and everyone is so mean and horrible and awful and terrible to him. And I'm just like, it happens on both sides in all fandoms and I will never understand it. Because 99% of the time, that's not what happened. Okay, um, so I always wonder what Kurt didn't, if Kurt didn't want a fairy tale for a senior year and he didn't push Blaine to change schools, I don't know, whatever, it was Blaine's decision. Um, I do think it was the worst thing Kurt did for Blaine and the relationship and himself. <laughs> I think that's a little harsh. Um, <laughs> I um, have mixed feelings about it. No, I mean, uh, like. Ultimately, in the end, it was the best thing for the show, and it was a really good thing for Blaine's characterization because he had to grow. Um, but I do remember at the time being like, Kurt didn't think about what Blaine's senior year is going to be like when he's gone. You know? And so at the time, I was kind of like, I really wish that, you know, there was no consideration taken at that moment. And that was one of those moments where I did think Kurt was ultimately being selfish. But was a closed canon it was a really good thing for Blaine as a character. I also think that, especially being a teenager, you have no ability. Okay. I don't want to be absolute in that statement. You have a limited ability of to, to estimate the future. My sister says that toddlers and teenagers are very similar in that they don't have that concept of um, consequences. At the end of the day, I think that Kurt thought he did have a magical and uh, senior year, and when he looks back on it, um, I don't think it was the uh, worst thing that he ever did. Um, I'm sure there are lots of other things. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree. I don't. Um, it's just an interesting thing to think about, though. It's an interesting what if to go down, though. And I've read, you know various, you know, fan fictions and headcanons about what their relationship would have been like um, if Blaine had stayed at Dalton. Um, a lot of times I found that they were more like wish fulfillment. Like a lot of the ones I read where they stayed at Dalton and they broke up anyway. We were written by people who didn't even like Kurt in the first place. You know, and so it's kind of, I mean... Do I think they could have made it work? 
Hell yeah, because I still think that Blaine never lived in Westerville. And that he, you know, he lived in a part of Lima and would have been home on the weekends and it would have been fine. You know? So, but that's just me personally. You never know. I mean, it's like making your own life decisions. Uh, You don't know how it's going to turn out. And who's to say, uh, you know, maybe something about it in the long run helped them. You never, you just, you just don't know. I don't know. Okay. So the next one, I actually think this is a kind of fun one, actually. Kurt never had feelings for anyone except Blaine. Okay. I think that Kurt never had any, like Kurt, the only person that Kurt ever was deeply in love with was Blaine. However, Finn, he did love. It changed to from a puppy, adoring, obsessive, slightly love to brotherly love, but it was definitely feelings. Adam, he was attracted to and, and found charming and fun to be with. And he did, I mean, had there been no blame at all, maybe it would have developed into something a little bit deeper, but it, it, but it was definitely feelings. Um, Walter, he found definitely entertaining, if nothing else. Um, he has been attracted to quite a few guys throughout the show. He was attracted to Sam. Sam. Um, He'd have to be blind not to be. Uh, Cooper, Ricky Martin, that Santa dude. I mean, Taylor Lautner. Taylor Lautner. Justin Timberlake. Yep. There's this weird misconception that if you are in a relationship, you can only have feelings for that person. And no, um, you can still find people attractive. Um, you can still have varying feelings for varying people. I, I just don't like the mentality that once you find your significant other, they're the only person that you can have any kind of feeling for. My best friend was just telling me about her husband's crush on some celebrity. I want to say Gwen Stefani, but I'm probably wrong. They have long conversations about their celebrity crushes. It's freaking adorable, you know? So knock it off. Yeah, that's, it's, yeah. If I had a chance to talk, this one, oh, this, I'm going to ask you about this because I, I didn't really know how to confront it. If I had a chance to talk to Kurt, I would ask him what emotional cheating means for him. It'd be a very interesting conversation. Uh, Yeah. What do they want to know, actually? Like, I I don't know. Everyone has varying definitions of cheating, I think. And for some people, emotional cheating is worse than physically cheating. Um, For some, physically you know, eye contact is enough to be accused of cheating. Um, that's not quite healthy. But um, I don't even know if... When are you asking this? Again, we're dealing with teenagers. We're dealing with teenagers. And just, like, man, they are stupid. And, like, they, you know... If you had asked Kurt and Dan with somebody... Hey, you know, you're emotionally cheating on Blaine. He'd be like, but I don't even feel anything emotionally for Chandler. Like, you know, like, you know, how can I be emotionally cheating if I don't feel, you know, if, you know, my deepest, darkest, most serious emotions are, are, um, reserved for Blaine. But that doesn't mean that that's not what he did. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. I, it, it is in the same way where, as, like, again, the physical cheating, Kurt was really more upset about that kind of thing because that kind of thing 
means something differently to Kurt than the other stuff does, but, you know, so. Anyway. Everyone has a different line. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, it's not even a line, it's, like, a different, like, a, a, a different part of the box that they're standing in. I don't know, it's just... Everyone's boundaries are different. I know people who think if you have sex with someone else and it was a one-night stand and there were no emotions involved, I can accept that and take you back. Where there are other people who are like, if you kiss someone who is not me, I'm done with you and I can't trust you. You know, everyone has a different set of boundaries. And it really, you know, when you're older and you have more of an emotional intelligence and more self-awareness and you understand how to communicate these things, you can have conversations and say, you know, this is why, you know, this hurt me because you crossed A, B, and C line. And for me, that that's very hard. But when you're 17, 18, and this is the third gay guy you met and the second one sexually assaulted you and the first one is your boyfriend, like, you're just, you just do not have... Again, you don't have the tools to acknowledge these types of things. You just don't have it. You know what else? And maybe this is unfounded of me to say this. I don't think Kurt really worries about Blaine emotionally cheating. I don't think so either. He doesn't. I mean, yeah, there are some trust issues um, that I think get resolved by the end. But I, you know, maybe it's something Blaine thinks about in regards to Kurt. But I don't think Blaine, I mean, I don't think Kurt spends a lot of time thinking about emotional cheating. I don't either. But, okay. Um, so, going on in a different direction, um, Kurt gets nothing out of his friendship with Rachel. I know it feels like that. Um, I know I bitch about Humalberry myself at times, but here's here's the long and the short of it. A lot of the issues, as I've said oftentimes, um, have to do with the writing. Um, it's very much Rachel-centric, so therefore Kurt plays a supporting role in her story. But I think the two of them... Um, have a, a fairly good respect for each other and support for each other, and they push each other and challenge each other, and I think they play good influence in each other's lives, and I do think that the friendship is valid. Uh, All right. Anyway, uh, did you have any thoughts on um, Rachel, Kurt, and Hummelberry? Yes. Yes, I want to have a talk with fandom. I'm going to pretend fandom was looking me in the eye. I want you to go back to season one. Who is Glee about? Will, Finn, and Rachel. When you eliminate Will, you get Finn and Rachel. When we have to eliminate Finn for reasons beyond our control, you get Rachel. The show is about Rachel. Rachel is the main character. Did Kurt's role expand? Yes. Did Kurt become the male lead when Corey passed away? Yes. But the show is about Rachel. Kurt is a supporting character. It is the Rachel Berry show. It is about her. So get just, it's about her. Did I resent that? Fuck yeah, because the show being about Rachel and Kurt's expanded role in season two meant he had to be connected to Rachel, which means Kurt Sadie's got kicked to the curb. I resented the shit out of that. But the show is about Rachel. She is the protagonist. She is the A character. We follow her. So that means that 
her story is always going to be the more important one. I'm sorry, it's not the clean show. It's not the Kurt show. Glee is an ensemble, but Rachel is the head honcho of that. It stopped being about Will, like, halfway through season two, you know? Just deal with the fact that the show's, it's Rachel's story, and everyone else plays a supporting role into it, and be lucky and be happy that you're a fan of characters who were hitched to Rachel, so we got a lot of them. Be glad you aren't an Artie fan. Be glad you aren't a tight shipper, you know? Like, we were so lucky as a fandom that Kurt and Rachel were the besties and the platonic soulmates of the story because that meant we got a lot of their relationship. Whereas other characters who didn't have anything to do with Rachel became more and more reduced and reduced and reduced and reduced, you know? So just deal with it. It doesn't mean you always that I always liked the way that that played out, especially in season three. But it's about Rachel. It was never going to be about Kurt. <laughs> I fully gr- agree. And, and though I say, you know, e- this is even me with my criticisms of how they wrote it. I do think they could have written it in better and different ways. But it doesn't oh, yeah, mean. Especially in season yeah. three. Yeah. But it was definitely from her point of view, and that is why, I, you know, it often felt very unbalanced. So, and on top of that, by the time you know, in season five and six, it was pretty fairly balanced at that. Point. It really was. It really was. So anyway, um, and you had wanted to say this is kind of going to the next point. Uh, something about Kurt and Mercedes, and I don't remember exactly what it was that you wanted to talk about, but. Um, I just wanted. Okay. <sighs> Okay. There's a popular misconception about Kurt and Mercedes post grilled cheeses. I've talked about this a little bit in the in the Mercedes podcast for sure. I think it's come up a few other times. The misconception is a Mercedes forced him to go to church, and b their friendship was ruined. He didn't like her anymore, and blah blah blah. First and foremost. Again, again, how can you be a fan of Kurt and think so little of him that he would do anything that he doesn't want to do? That's just first. Second, they were still friends. She's the first one that meets Blaine. She's the one who organized Kurt's return with Blaine. She's the first one we see greet Kurt when he comes back to McKinley. Every major thing that happens in Kurt's storyline, Mercedes is right there. So they were always friends. It's just that, again, the show's about Rachel. So when a character's role is going to... Even when Tina's role was going to be expanded in season four, they started that by giving her an episode with Rachel. On top of that, I, I sometimes I feel like people just get so absorbed in the actual show itself they they don't take into account production things. So mm-hmm. you have this ensemble cast and Mercedes and Amber Riley is literally a guest star at this point. She's not going to it, like by season four. I mean, you're not going to have yeah. storylines with her. Or in season three, she had her own storylines. So 
you know, they didn't have the time to show every little Kurt and Mercedes. All through season three, Kurt and Mercedes are having storylines together. All through season four, when they come, you know, when they're when they're actually together, which is not very much, he is, you know, there. They're supporting each other. That wonderful. They're supporting each other in season five. They're supporting each other in season six. I mean, they're supporting each other. I in um, Saturday Night Gleaver, where Kurt sees Sam and is like, oh, I'm out of here. He had to know what was going on in order for him to be like, yep, I don't want any part of that. So clearly, you know, he's in the know. He knows what's going on in their relationship. Saturday Night Gleaver was like that whole, like, you know, with Unique. It was like Kurt Sadie's heaven. He's, in fact, when Unique walks up, he's trying to convince Mercedes to come to New York. If you watch Dreams Come True, he's got Blaine on one side and he has Mercedes on the other side. On this, with Will song or whatever. And at no point, you know, it's just because they don't show it, but like, but it's, the actress was literally a guest star for three years. Like, you can't do something with the character if she's not actually on the casting list. So, it's like, take that into account sometimes, people. Yeah. And plus, there's racist overtones to always making Mercedes the aggressor and the one who did the negative thing in the end. <laughs> That's for another podcast. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, we get my F's. Oh, God, I hate this one. St. Kurt. Okay. Um, oh, I talked about it a bit in season three. And it's probably the left best left for there because it's really the only time that it, it is an apparent. And that's why it caught on. During season well, three. It started a little bit, it started with Flirt. So I came into the Glee fandom uh, through TV Without Pity, um, which is a very mean website. And they used to write episode recaps. And um, they started calling Kurt St. Kurt in Flirt because the person that reviewed Glee felt like Bert and Carol made their whole wedding about Kurt and they screwed over Finn and they didn't love Finn. And so they started referring to Kurt the St. Kurt in every recap thereafter. And then it caught on after that. Yeah. Well, and it picked up in season three, when after the bullying stuff kind of hit its heights, and they knew this, the show knew that this was like a story gold mine, they made Kurt take the higher road in just about every interaction that he did. You know, he, he with the election stuff, he kind of takes the high road and, and anti-bullying stands. And, you know, the stuff with Karofsky, you know, taking the high road. The stuff with Sebastian, he's not going to turn Sebastian in. I mean, I think Michael is the worst. And the worst. <laughs> um, and we talked a lot about it then, but, uh, you know, no. Once, I mean, it's so funny because, you know, on the one hand, it's Mr. Manipulative, awful person. On the other hand, it's he's St. Kurt. But uh, I, don't, I, I don't see this one as necessarily as valid. I think that a lot of times... Especially in season three, a lot of this comes out of they wanted to portray Kurt as this alt, you know, altruistic, positive character. And while most of it fits in character, it's not necessarily true. Especially then you get a he's he's not a saint at all ever. I almost wonder. I almost wonder, and, and I can't think of a really good way to word, word this, but I almost wonder if. Part of the thing with season two and the bullying thing and portraying Kurt in this way 
it was almost as if he had like the weight of the whole LGBT community on his shoulders. Like he had to like be a positive character like all the time because they were so like because of the fear that like if Kurt wasn't, it would kind of be like, oh, are you saying that all gay character, all gay guys are A, B, and C? You know what I mean? Or going and against, so- I mean, it's kind of, and I, I'll get to this other point in a second, but it's kind of A, coming out of the stomach, stemming out of some of the criticisms that Kurt was predatory towards Finn, and B, uh-huh. the weight of that, um, you know, pressure from being a role model, um, wanting Kurt to come off as a very positive character. And while it's kind of interesting because in four, five, and six, he feels more like an actual human being and less like somebody. And I feel like missed fun, snarky, you know, semi, you know, fail bot Kurt. You know, I loved him in season one and I missed that about him. And we started to slowly get that back in five and six. Okay, so um, the misconception Kurt is a stereotype, how Ryan Murphy originally envisioned Kurt as more of a stereotype, but Kurt managed to ways to break it. Um, Ryan Murphy wrote all of his original characters as stereotypes, and purposely in some respects, because he was trying to write a satire. I think that point is often missed by a lot of people. I agree as well. Um, but also, as the show goes on, you can only take satire so far, Yes, Chris played a huge role in making him a relatively well-fleshed-out character early on, comparatively to other people, but um, uh, the whole show stopped being about stereotypes. It started being about these fleshed-out characters, as it usually does with TV shows. So, I mean, Mercedes started out as all sassy, neck snapping, oh, hell to the no, loud, stereotypical, you know, sassy black girl character. And as the show went on, they expanded on that and showed her as being vulnerable and all these things that you don't typically get out of quote-unquote strong black women, you know? So that's how the show started. And then he kind of, you know, he expanded on the characters in that way. Yeah. I also, you know, going along with the stereotype thing, I think that it was... I don't know if important is the right word, but I think that it was a good thing that they show this very effeminate character. Um, Because a lot of times it seemed like, you know, gay men were only accepted if they were manly and macho and still fell into gender roles that men, quote unquote, had. But to show this actual effeminate character. The effeminate characters were always the jokey characters. Right. So to have you know? him have real feelings and real emotions and get a boyfriend and have a you know career and succeed in life, I think is a very positive message. So it's kind of, you know, maybe they started all as stereotypes, but like they ended up being something much more than that, which I think is important. Every single one of them. Yep. So um, kind of coming off of that, we talked a little bit about the predatory gay, Kurt being scheming and a predatory gay towards Finn in season one and Sam in season two. Um, I don't think he, you know, did Kurt push the boundaries? Yeah, he did. Um, but, you know, think about it this way. If it was a girl and a guy, would we be having the same kind of conversation? I mean, I, I don't know. It'd be. I think that Kurt was trying to copy 
the things you see on TV. This is what you do to get a guy. Yeah. So, I I don't think it's, I think... And I don't think he was predatory towards Sam at all. What exactly, I mean, can somebody define predatory for, uh, predatory gay for me? I, I mean, I guess I, I'm not... Because I just think of men in general as being predatory sometimes, and you get all of these issues out of I that. Know, that's right. Um, that's rape culture and the patriarchy. Men in general. I mean, if you want to talk predatory, let's talk about the you know some of the straight relationships on the show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's not do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Um, I text is on here. I don't know if it's really that connected though. Um, the fact that Kurt, high and Mike, the idea of high and mighty Kurt getting on this person's last nerves. And then they write, um, in, in answering for me, so I don't have to, and claims his claims of superiority were a coping mechanism for an insecure little boy. And were only addressed to people who are perceived as threats. Kurt doesn't think he's better than Blaine or anyone else on the show for that matter. Yes. Even Finn and Sam, the other two characters who are often the target of his, of his derision. Derision. Now, I do want to say, and and I've spent a lot of time on this topic personally, because one of my biggest fanfic pet peeves is this idea that Kurt sits around with his nose turned up to everyone around him, like, ugh, you know, like, he can't be bothered with Blaine, how, ugh, he's such a, oh my god, he likes comic books, and, you know, oh my god him and Sam are, you know, play wrestling, ew, and oh my god, Rachel, you know, you are reindeer sweater seven years ago, you can't dress, and Santana, you're a whore, and just like, it's such a, like, like, fan thing to make her out to be, like, this person who just is, just has the worst attitude towards the people that he loves, he loves them. Kurt, yes, they get on his nerves, Yes, turn off the soda stream. Oh my god, these people are driving me crazy because I haven't been able to be alone in three days and, like, recharge my battery. But Kurt is not that person, and it's the worst part of Fanon that I, I, I loathe it. It's so funny because I would, and it's funny, it's not even on this list, I would say Kurt is a bit judgmental. Um, but at the same time, yeah. I don't think that he really, you know, and yes, in his... I, somebody will all work for me, his, you know, judgmentalness of, like, the bullies around him is founded in, you know, he is insecure about a lot of things, and this is the way of his defense mechanism, like, this is how he's standing up for himself, that's different than, like, ugh, you know, ugh, I don't like that person, because of, you know, whatever, and, you know, again, it's a lot of season one versus everything else on the show, um, yeah. And Kurt's annoyance with Sam, and season six really just came from the loft being overcrowded and as someone who's had someone you know live with you that wasn't like original like you know not like a roommate but like your friend needs a place to stay and you let them come live with you and after a while you're just like oh my god this place is so crowded i can't like walk around in my underwear and i can't just like go watch what i want to watch and i can't just go take a shower when i want to take a shower and there's just too many people here you know it. I you know I still love you to death, but when are you when are you moving? Yeah. Oh yeah, and I will say, and I will talk a lot about this when we get to season six, but or and then the at New York arc in season five. 
Kurt's biggest issue is that there were no walls in that loft. If they had walls, it would have been a whole big, you know. But I, I, as somebody who likes a lot of personal space and a lot of private time, I understand that. And you just need space. My brother's best friend lived with us for a year. Um, and I am the textbook extrovert. I, I, can, I don't like being alone for very long. But even me with my extrovertedness, there after a while I was just like, oh my god, I just want to be alone for five minutes, you know, like oh my god, I just want like no one to be here, you know. So that just happens, especially when you're living with your friends and you live with people you're close to. You will, they will drive you insane. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so off topic, but if you aren't too busy, would you think that the writers chose not to address? rarely addressed or forgot since Chris addressed it in the episode he wrote, not growing up with his birth, with his birth mother changed Kurt personally, even something like this day of his funeral each year, having Kurt more reserved than usual would have been interesting or at least something. I know the one Christmas episode describes her preferring perfume bottle and Kurt and Finn bonding over their smell of their dips to see his parents was mentioned, but there wouldn't there be more of an impact in Canon. Can I say something? Um, my mother passed away when I was 18 her birthday is next Saturday. I mean, no, her birthday is this Saturday. Her birthday is this Saturday, the 28th. Um, she passed away on November 5th. She got sick, collapsed at her surprise party that her coworkers were throwing for her. Was in, She was in the hospital for a week, and she passed away. It will be um, 19 years. 18 years. 19 years. I'm not done. Hold on. My sister's just like storm in here. Anyway, I'm saying that um, because I relate to Kurt in that way. But I can also say that um, a lot of times, especially if you haven't experienced that loss, um, you a lot of times fandom doesn't really understand kind of how it works. And, of course, it changes from person to person. Um, my sister kind of handles those two events differently than me when the anniversary comes around mostly because a lot of times I've had to work it you know and so you learn to get over it because you have to be an adult and you have responsibilities but while it's something that you carry with you all the time it's not the way that a lot of times you know it'll be fandom thinks that Kurt would like break why isn't Kurt breaking down at the mention of her and you know you just as time goes on you know you just kind of you know you may have your moment and you deal with it, but, you know, unfortunately, life has to go on. And so I don't necessarily, I don't think the writers forgot about it, but I also don't necessarily think that it means that Kurt would be, you know, have these moments of, you know, kind of being so overcome with it, you know? Um, especially as a character that kind of keeps things inside and as a character that doesn't, outwardly uh, show how he's feeling a lot. I don't think that we necessarily, I personally didn't necessarily need to see that, but maybe it's because I know personally what it's like to carry that loss with you every single day for the rest of your life. Well, thank you for sharing that, Kay. I think that I am going to, how do I want to put this? It wasn't narratively relevant. And that's why it didn't come up. That as well. 
it's something like if you look at the way Finn passed away and how these characters are affected by that, but they didn't mention it in every single episode post season five, but it was a kind of an overlining theme that these characters were going through this. And I think in the same respect, they mentioned Kurt's mom when she was, yes, I would have loved to have more of her in it. Um, and I, you know, if this had been the Kurt show, we probably would have seen more of that involvement, but we didn't. Kurt has, you know, a very loving family. I mean, it happened when he was very young. He has a very loving family. He has a stepmother who's really amazing. He has, you know, in a very healthy relationship, has a great group of friends. He has a future ahead of him. Has, you know, dealing with his brother's death. Um, it's not always on the top of your list. Um, however, it's really not. However, there are going to be times when, you know, when he's, you know, packing up Bert and Carol to move them to a retirement home and he finds an old memento of his mom. Is he going to get sentimental? Probably. I mean, there are songs that I hear that I'm like, ouch, like, I can't listen to this. It's, it's too, the memories are too much, but it's still more of a rare thing, especially as more time passes. Yeah. He will always miss his mother. That's always going to be a thing, but it's not always going to be pronounced. And I, but I think just, and I feel like this is always the cop out answer. I think narratively, because it did not matter at the time, you know, whatever story they're telling, that is why it was not in there. So that's, I think that sometimes, you know, when a show drops hints about certain things and as fans of certain characters, we're like, but I want to see this thing. Why isn't there an episode dedicated to this thing? And it's just like, because there's no reason for it to be. Yeah. All right. So, um, this one, okay. I like this one, actually. Uh, people forget how funny Kurt can be. Fandom sees him as a super superior killjoy, but he's got a quick wit. Though not all Yeah, he's so freaking funny. Oh, man. He's hilarious. He's witty. He's sarcastic. He's clever with his wordplay i i you know he's a funny person and i don't think the writers forgot about that obviously they're writing a comedy so a lot of things Kurt skins but i think fandom does they want him to be yeah oh well, you he know what else they laugh him and blame make each other laugh oh they do i think it's absolutely adorable they giggle all i'm i'm sure you know i'm sure in high school they were really super annoying because they'd be with their heads together giggling about something exactly. and you see santana rolling her eyes as she passes Kurt, like you know, Will says something that's intentionally, like, kind of like a double entendre, and Kurt's, like, you know, makes a comment under his breath, and Blaine just loses it. Yeah. Yep. And then Will's, like, looking at them like, Blaine, <laughs> gets them in trouble. Yeah. Even, you know, as they get older, I, I, they, they enjoy each other, they like each other. They're friends first. They enjoy each other's company. And, um, and Kurt's funny. So, yeah. but that's, I think, I think it's a, you know what I think though, um, in relating to fan and stuff, I think a lot of people don't know how to be funny. I agree 100%. I think that people don't know how to write humor, which it's a hard thing. I'm not saying that everybody should be able to do it. I, I personally think that I can. I mean, I think I've, I'm always, I've always been of the opinion that comedy is harder than drama because, because you always know certain things that are going to hit people in their emotional place, death and loss and grief and those kinds of things. But trying to figure out what's going to, what's funny to one person, because I mean, just culturally, you know, what's funny to one person is funny, is not going to be funny to someone else. Like 
I can't explain to someone why a lot of people in the black community find um, what's love got to do with it to be a funny movie, even though domestic violence is not funny. It's a cultural thing. It's a, you know what I mean? Like you never, it's hard to translate that, you know, for one reader to another, you know, Oh, this is hilarious to me. But if someone who is a, you know, speaks English is not their first language and they don't get sarcasm, they're not going to understand why that's funny or how to translate that. You know what? So comedy is hard. It is. It is something. And it's, it's just something that you kind of have a, have a knack for to, to get it right. Um, I give the writers of Glee credit. They, I do think they are funny people. I do think they get, I, t- I thought, I think they got tired after a while, but I do think, that, I mean, season five is full of my favorite, like just cracky Glee stuff. So well, what if we had sparklers, but we're inside is one of the funniest freaking things that is, oh my God, you know, Glee is hilarious in season five. Yep. I, 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 Kurt is funny. Kurt is, you know, going along with that is my next point. That Kurt is a graceful, neat eater who cares so much about what he eats or how he looks or how he's serious from all the time. All the time. He's so not. He's not graceful. Have you seen him? Every time we get to a Kurt number where he's dancing, somebody points out that he has no rhythm. And he doesn't because Chris doesn't have any rhythm. He's just ridiculous. He falls over. He falls off pianos. He trips over his own feet. You know, he's just goofy and ridiculous you can't roller um, skate you can't, can't ice skate I spent half of an episode because uh you know i think that's why they edited um god what song is that they sing when they're roller skate when they're ice skating i think that's why they edited that, oh white um, christmas duet the way they did because chris colfer couldn't stand up on the skates they had to edit around him falling that's my there's a post there's been so many posts like this of where it's like fanfic Kurt is like, you know, like perfect, beautiful swan and Cannon Kurt trips over his own feet. Like, you know, like Kurt is Kurt thought, you know, getting your groove on in the library was the most gangster thing you could do. <laughs> Kurt's ridiculous and fun and a sweet oh. kid and just just re- and he talks with his mouth full. Yeah. Um, I, I also love that, like, he's, you know, he does probably take care of his clothes, but, you know, the way he eats, I mean, he eats pizza and popcorn and what. Now, during, he like, tested when popcorn he. Popcorn and ice cream. Yep. Like and his smoothies. After Finn dies, he, he drink he's like changing up his afternoon smoothie. Now, when after Bash, he changed things because that is a reaction of what happened in Bash. He felt Too like much, he needed to be, the trauma, yeah. you know, the trauma. And so he started, you know, concentrating on what he looked like and eating healthier and being, you know, whatever. That's a different thing. But generally, I mean, he's like licking the whipped cream off his fingers and, you know, making cinnamon rolls and, you know, whatever. Shoving cookies in his face, stress eating while Rachel is on the phone. Exactly. And, so you know, just come on. Uh, I bet Kurt is. Break. You know, I wasn't it Kurt that when they were doing the the breakup um in the second one that left the toothpaste on the the yes. towel, and Blaine got yes. upset about it. Yes, Blaine is the one who's very particular and and meticulous and I think because Blaine had some stuff on top of his hamper 
when we saw his room one time that people were like, Gwen's messy. But I I think that no. I liked the I liked the touch, that little touch of Kurt being the messy one in the relationship. I'm sure he is. I'm sure like Blaine is the one that keeps things meticulously clean. And Kurt just like th- when he gets home he just throws his bag everywhere and 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 plates like, no, pick it up and put it away. It, yeah. Kurt, put your shoes on in the closet. Kurt I does have this is, you know, Kurt does have very specific places where things go. Like, you know, the lamp goes here and the bed goes there because I've designed it to be that way. I'm not saying he doesn't do that because he does. He gets very particular about where things in his world are. Um, but cleanliness. Graceful, slaw- graceful swan. Like, yeah. yeah. He is not. Okay. The last one for Kurt as we wind up here. Um, this is very interesting, and I, I have a couple of reactions to this. Okay. Why does Kurt not liking uninvited touch have to mean he's not neurotypical? Lots of people feel this way. It's just, it's personal. It's a personality thing. Nothing wrong with not being neuro, nothing wrong with not being neurotypical. Just never understood why he's labeled this way. Okay. I agree. I, I never, I never understood it, and I was always afraid to say something because I don't want it to come off as if I think there's something wrong with that. But I also do think it's a bit of a projection. Yeah. That's, that's actually kind of what I'm, what I'm going to go with. So I have a couple of thoughts on this. Okay. First of all, um, I, 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 first of all, I don't know much about neurotypical people. Okay. I'm also saying, not saying that you can't identify with a character they may have similar traits. Now, what I'm going to do is kind of for a second to answer this question, I'm going to replace neurotypical, neurotypicals, being neurotypical with demisexuality because um, I'm demisexual and a lot of times Kurt is labeled as that. And um, I actually don't think that Kurt is demisexual. Um, however, I can see, I can see the points. Is that um, you have to have a um, intellectual connection? In order to have a sexual one? Yes. In order, I should define that. In order okay. to have any kind of, um, and this isn't completely black and white either, but um, in order to have any kind of sexual attraction to a person, I need some kind of emotional connection to them first. Now, okay. you can make the argument that Kurt is demisexual. I've actually seen people talk about it, and there are a lot of things that I think you could argue that he is. Uh, again, I don't personally think that he is because he seems to be more attracted to just, you know, generic people on the street more than, like, I would be. However, if, you know, seeing somebody who looks at sex a little bit more like I do makes me relate to the character more. So if you're neurotypical and feel like Kurt is neurotypical because of whatever reason, there's nothing wrong with you feeling that. However, because we all see things through the prism of our own perspectives doesn't necessarily mean that Kurt is or isn't one way or the other. Okay, yeah, I agree. To a point, I do think sometimes there are things that are taken too far. As we talked about, uh, Kurt is definitely not asexual. Kurt, it's very canon that Kurt has, enjoys sex, and... He sees Blaine 100% woodbang. Yeah. Like a screen door in a hurricane. 
if, you know, uh, like that kind of perception, I don't agree with because that you're taking canon evidence and you're throwing it out the window because you are too much reflecting on your personal, you know, your viewpoint, you're projecting too much on this character. But however, if like with the neurotypical stuff, I don't know, again, I don't know much about it. I don't understand how Kurt is or isn't or whatnot to give it a general answer. But I do think that like the demisexuality stuff, if you feel like Kurt is demisexuality and you relate to that, you can, uh, you know, that's fine. That's great. You can see that character is that way. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a fictional character. He's not going to tell you no. Um, however, there are, you know, I don't personally think that he is, and I have reasons to back that up. Um, coming from my own experiences as a demisexual, da -da 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 demisexual. That sounded very, like, European, demisexual. Yeah, it's just... I'm getting tired. <laughs> um, so, um, so I don't see it as that. So I feel like it's the same type of thing. I think that if you think that he is, that's fine. If you don't think he is, that's fine too. I, I think that it's just one of those things that we need to come to an understanding that some people are going to view a character a certain way based on their own particular perspective. True. And as someone who's not used to seeing people like myself, you know, on TV a lot, I get it. I just don't, I just think the issue comes when it goes from saying, hey, I see these similarities, and wouldn't it be cool if he was this, to going, no, this is absolutely what it is. Yeah, no, I, and like I said, I wish I knew more about it, um, I bet I don't, I Me don't, too. so, I if somebody would like to have that conversation, that'd be awesome, but, you know, okay. All right, so that kind of wraps up the current part of it. Um, yeah, great stuff here. Now we're going to get to the Blaine stuff, which I'm sure Kay is excited about. Knuckle crack. Let's do this. Uh, let me drink some water. I'm ready to do this. You ready? You ready? Okay. Okay, number one. Blaine is written inconsistently. Blaine is, huh. I think it's more complex than that, the issue. Blaine is a character that was not meant to have the, the role in the show that he ends up occupying. He was a character who was originally supposed to be around for three episodes. And, you know, he, they ended up keeping him full time. But when that happens... There's going to be, you know, some changes to the character to make him more fully fleshed than he originally was intended to be. Um, now, personally, I can connect a lot of Blaine's story, and I find consistency there. But the reason why he may be inconsistent is just because he, his role ended up evolving from what it was originally intended to be. Yeah, I, I will agree with that. I think kind of adding on to that, I, I can see some inconsistencies, but oh, I can see how they can actually, how they took, how, no, let me rephrase this. I can see how they took some writing issues with the character and they developed that into personality traits and yeah. kind of built off that. So they basically, it's instead of having, like, let's say you build a house. 
and and you know house A is just built from the foundation up and it's got lots of you know rooms and lots of whatever and it's this fully flushed out big house. Well, let's say that you know you take this other house and you build a you know three bedroom no, no sorry you build a one bedroom with a bathroom and it's a little apartment thing. And then you're like, oh, I want to add a basement. And, oh, I want to add a second floor. And, oh, I want to add a garage. That's kind of what Blaine is. <laughs> like, they kept adding things to him. He just described my apartment. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, th- I think that Blaine started off, you know, as most characters do, in kind of this, like, generic, you know, I mean, no, I didn't get personality, but, like, uh, just as one thing, and he kind of grew into and pour it on and so on and so on to what he became. So yeah. Okay. Um, this this is uh, I just feel like this is unfounded. And, but Blaine, in comparison to Kurt, almost seemed characterless. Personally, perhaps it was because Kurt is so distinct in his personality, while Blaine is that average, eager to please, nice boy next door demeanor, while somehow managing to be pushy. Well, you know, you just gave uh, him a character trait, but so um. Uh, probably um, not the right. Also, eager to please is a character trait. Yeah. Uh, probably not the right words, but there's a lot of vibe, like something is missing or off about Blaine. After all, we don't know anything about his parents besides the fact that his mother, Pam, came to his friend's wedding, or not too much about, or maybe too much. Darren was put put in the character that's supposed to be a, a mentor. Um. Okay. So I can can I just jump in real quick and say something? Um, yeah. If you don't mind. Uh. Here's. Yeah, go ahead. My thing. Um, I think what you're, you, what this person might be missing is the fact that, unlike Kurt, who had an entire world built around them, uh, Blaine did not. Blaine was attached to Kurt for a very long time, and it wasn't until season four when they flushed out and gave him. Well, I mean, guess with Cooper, they flushed. You know, at the end of season three, they gave him more of a world, and unfortunately, that's a pitfall of being a side character. Um, but I don't think that means you don't have any kind of personality, I think. First and foremost. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's basically, but I just, I, I think that this is, you know, out of all of the comments that we have on this, because obviously I've read them all, I think this one is the harshest. I, I just don't think, uh, there's no real basis for this kind of criticism. I think that it is. Yes. Uh, the only thing First I think. First of all, how dare you? Second of all, oh no, you didn't. And third of all, who cares? All right, I wanted to meet Blaine's family, but you know what? Tina stands out to meet her family, and Britney's. Well, we got to meet her family, and you know, everyone wants to know everything about everyone. I wanted to see Mercedes' family. You know what I mean? It's. It is what it is. You don't need to meet their family to, to. To have character traits. We only know Bert because Bert played a role in Kurt's major storyline. The show is about Rachel. She's the main character. And we didn't meet her dads until season three because it wasn't necessary to the plot to meet them before that. And you know what I'm... So that doesn't mean anything. How can you say he's characterless and then list characteristics? Yeah. If you want to say generic, he, he would be... Like, Azimio is kind of a generic bully. Um, you know, exactly. stoner Brett is a generic, generic stoner. 
there, Blaine definitely yeah, develops a lot of personality throughout the entire show. So I think that it's unfair a little bit to say that he is, uh, you know, and I think it also in the context of comparing him to Kurt, Kurt is Not one fair. of the, except for Will and maybe Rachel. I mean, I think that Kurt even has more of a world built around him than Rachel does. Um, Kurt is very lucky to be one of the only characters to have a fully fleshed out backstory and family life and individual life. And a lot of that is because Ryan Murphy wrote a character that originally was kind of representing him. So he's going to put a lot of that into it, but none of the other characters have that kind of developed. I mean, Will is, has the, the world building around him. Um, I don't even think Rachel even gets that much comparatively to Kurt. Um, so it's not a fair basis. It's, it's kind of like saying, you know, you take, um, one of the six season six newbies like Roderick. Well, he doesn't seem like a real character because there's not enough, you know, we don't know his parents. That's not fair. He was only on the show for, and did his purpose on the show for like six episodes. And that was his purpose. Like it was a certain, but he was also like a D-list character. I mean, you have to always be taking context where these characters are and it's like, it's just, yeah. Uh, and when was he pushy? Show me the receipt. When was he pushy? Blaine is not pushy. If Blaine were... Blaine is... Yes. He likes attention. He wants to be liked. He craves being liked. He craves approval. Which, by the way, are characteristics. And, you know, being eager to please is part of that seeking approval. Which is also a characteristic. Even being pushy so, is a characteristic. <laughs> exactly. Except that he's not even that. You know? So I just, I don't, that, it's really unfair and harsh. And I just, it's unfounded. Well, and this is, okay, so I'm going to say the last part of this. And I'm I, not to single out necessarily and be harsh on the person that wrote this. But they wrote, Please feel free to criticize his opinion, because although I feel indifferent about Blaine, I'd like to like him more. And what you're essentially asking us to do is saying, I don't really care one way about this character. You, I, 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 I want to like him more, but you've already kind of shown that your bias is that you don't like the character so much. Why do you even ship Blaine if... Well, we don't know. I mean, we don't know. That's true. Like, we don't, I don't want to assume. worse than hate, first of all. You know, it's like, I don't care. So why even, you know, if it's like, you're not going to change your mind no matter what we say, you know, because if you haven't been able to figure out these things just by simply, you know, following the, you know, Today Believers blog, or maybe you just saw this, you know, on someone's dash and you're like, hey, I'm going to, you know, say something to this, even though I don't care. I don't know because I don't know who wrote the question. But I'm just saying that there's nothing that we can say that's going to make you like him. Just like there's nothing anyone can say to make me like Sue or Quinn. It is what it is. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of like something. Now, if we go for indifference, I was thinking about Jake is a total character I feel completely indifferent about. I kind of wish I like there are times when I'm like, well, I see, you know, people talk about him in an interesting way. Um but it doesn't necessarily make me like him any more than I do. But I don't hate him at all. Like, it's not... It's not a, it's, that with me hasn't made you like Jake. It's just not going to happen. But, uh, you know, yeah, nothing anybody says to me is going to 
probably, you know, I have to do that myself. I have to be like, find something that I relate to the character and be like, oh, I really like this character, you know, and in all of that, we see Jake, nothing really does that. So he's just kind of there for me. But so I, you know, my comment to you, if you're listening to this, um, if you really want to know more about Blaine, uh, like find Blaine positive blogs, read about him, see him in a different context. And if you're still indifferent, well, then maybe you need to reevaluate your relationship with how you like interact if with that. If you want to like Blaine, it is black hyphen John hyphen Lennon dot Tumblr dot com. Killer Queen 80 on AO3. If that can't help you, nothing can. You can always check mine out too. Space Orphan 18. I like Blaine, so um, I I don't I don't know I, I don't know how to help you. Um, the other thing uh, that Darren was put too much in the character. I always try to differentiate between character Darren and actor. Ho. Huh? I, I'm like Darren Ho. No, I mean Becca Tobin says that Darren swears he's nothing like Blaine, and she thinks and she says he's lying. But I honestly don't. The only time that I have seen, felt like there was character bleed was during the Glitter Rod Vampire thing. Like, Darren doesn't know how to un-Darren when there's a guitar in his hand. My thing, I, I can see how in the beginning he was a little more Darren-ish in his performances. Um, however, it's kind of funny because I always think it goes opposite with uh, Kurt and Chris, too, that it Kurt became more Chris like as the show came on, but you know, yeah, it's not, it's because of the, un, it, because Blaine wasn't as defined in the beginning. Um, it's, it's more, it's maybe an easier to see Darren's personality traits through Blaine, but when he became a more defined character, um, then, but, but you know what though? It's like, if you didn't know, like, there are lots of episodes, I mean, not, not, sorry, there are a lot of TV shows that I don't follow the actors. Most of the TV shows I watch, I don't follow the actors. So I couldn't tell you if there was character bleed or not. I don't know. No idea. And I feel like if you go into a show knowing actors and et cetera, et cetera, you're always going to be looking for those type of things. It's kind of a natural thing to do. Um, I say take a step back and try not to get so involved with Okay, this is when Darren was really happy here, and he wasn't happy there, and this is definitely him projecting this and that. It's, no, just, it's not of any value, because you don't really know. You're just making guesswork of things, and, no. <laughs> so. Yeah. No. Okay. So, but, I, you know what, I encourage you, person that wrote this, if you want to talk still, please come to us still. We will be... I, I don't buy you. I know that, but like, I do, but not hard. Um, we're not gonna, you know, I, the whole point of this was to actually open up communication and conversation. So, and honestly, I can talk about Blaine all friggin' day. I have several tags dedicated to it. So if you honestly have questions about Blaine, but I want like sincere questions because nothing annoys me more when someone is like being very passive aggressive with their question. But if you sincerely have questions about Blaine, I am happy to answer them and, you know, talk about him and meta and all that good stuff. He's my favorite character. I relate to him a whole lot and I feel like I understand him a whole lot. And I, I honestly, I'm happy 
to discuss it. That's why I'm here. Um, moving on, that Blaine Warbler, jeez, that Blaine Warbler is the real Blaine. All further character development was wrong. Wrong. How can character development be wrong? The people who wrote it created the character. They're ultimately the ones who decide who he is. Like, I don't, how, how? I don't understand how, how that could be wrong. Fanon is wrong. We made that up. That had nothing to do with the show. But, like, the, the people who created the character said he's that. So he's that thing. I don't even understand, like, like, it, it's all the same character. Like, Blaine Warbler is a part of who Blaine is just as much as any other part of Blaine. Why? I don't, this question hurts my brain. <laughs> um, <laughs> so people are not boxes. They have more than four sides to them. To quote a very wise person. Um, so you can be both. Charismatic you know, a box a has man. six sides, but whatever. Go ahead. <laughs> I know, but you know. But I love her. Well. I do. But um, you can be both the charismatic frontman of an acapella supergroup while also being insecure and anxious and scared in your relationship. You can be those things at the same time. People are amazing in how complex they can be. You know, I, it's, it's sad because I wonder if people get used to watching, like, a sitcom where, like, if you think of Friends and Modern you think family. of a Modern Family or the Big Bang Theory, everyone has, like, a specific trait that's associated with them, and that's about all their characters. No one grows on those shows. Something happens in one episode, and then the next episode, it's like it never happened. And, yeah, I do wonder if that if that's what it is, whereas I cut my teeth on shows like Buffy that were, you know, where everything were, you know, the characters were so complex and, and it existed in a gray area. I mean, sitcoms in general, the intention is not to have the characters grow. They want to, you know, whatever. It's, that's a whole lot. We'll have a long conversation about that in another podcast, but. You know, I think that there's only a couple of sitcoms I can think of where there's character growth and that is um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Rec. And The Office there too. I didn't get, I, did, I still haven't made it through. <laughs> I, couldn't, I didn't make it past season two. But yeah, um, but those shows are definitely very unique in their approach. Well, look out, they don't use a laugh track. If it doesn't use a laugh track, it probably will have more growth. <laughs> but then if you look at, like CSI and all those, you know, it, it, episodic things, they don't, they have maybe tiny little bits of story that go on, but for the most part, they're it's supposed really to be... The thing of the week. Yeah, yeah, it's a, supposed to be... It's not a serial drama. It's episodic and whatever. Yeah. Okay, because you're supposed to go on Thursday night, you're supposed to sit down, watch a 30-minute sitcom, laugh for half an hour, and not think about it after that. That's exactly. what those are designed for. So, okay. Um, so, I just like the tone of this question, of this comment. What's up with the wardrobe and hair gel and he's short? <laughs> okay, first of all, um, Blaine's not that short. And having seen Darren in person, I think what makes him appear so much shorter is that he's got a very narrow waist. You know, he's very thin in his build. He's dainty, as he would say. And so it makes him feel so much taller. Hey, he also, said... 
once that he was short as fuck. Okay, so uh, yeah, that's true. But he also makes some acting choices where where when 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 um, Blaine's uncomfortable, he shrinks in on himself and makes himself physically smaller. I think also. So, oh, I just wanted to point out that. Darren might be average height for a guy, but he's the thing that really gets like the height thing is more of when compared to Kurt or compared to Chris, he's only a couple of inches, not even. They are almost the same he height. He doesn't need to stand on tippy toes to kiss him. No. Whenever I read that in fic, I'm like, he's not that short. They're writing him like he's 5'2, five, 5'3. Five, yeah, I'm 5'3. I'm 5'6. Darren is taller than me. So there you go. And Chris oh, isn't. Th- I, I mean, Chris to... isn't very tall either. I mean, he's he's not short, but no, he's I definitely not tall either. We went to the movie theater where my sister worked, and my friend said that he's not as tall as he looks on TV. Who, Darren or Chris? Ah, uh, Chris. I've seen Chris in person five times. Okay. Oh, see, there you go. <laughs> Let me tell you this. Um, yeah, no, he's. It's so funny because he's. Um, yeah. He's average height. and uh, I mean, he's not like, like Corey. Yeah, you know? but Corey was like six something. Corey was like six four. Yeah, he was tall. He was a tall yeah. part. There was a reason they made all those jokes about Frank and Dean. He was tall. Yeah. And remember that behind the scenes still where uh, Leah was standing on a box? Yeah. Because she's short. Look at every. Like, she's look yeah, at she's five three. Yeah. Yep. So. They position and they did a lot of positioning in early episodes to make them exactly the same height, so it was a little jarring when they stopped doing that. But yeah, which is stupid. Yeah, no, they're fine. Um, so yeah, which is fun. On a side note, Chris, it's so funny because he looks very, very, very bulky in a lot of these pictures, and he's not necessarily that in real life. It's just the camera adds bulk. It looks like he's been hitting the gym lately. I mean, he might be now. Like, last time I saw him, he he was definitely, you know, well-defined, but... Was it the Wizarding World of Harry Potter or something? And he probably was, but um, now that he's and not doing... Like, Hello, gun show. <laughs> now that he's not doing that Noel biopic anymore, I think it looks like he bulked up again, but um, uh, it's not, like, he's, like, definitely, like, not a bodybuilder, like, huge, you know... But he's also got, you know, the shoulders make it, make him seem, you know? But he's not scrawny either. I mean, like, none of these has toothpick arm crap. But anyway, we're getting off topic. Don't get me started. Um, as for the wardrobe. Yeah. I don't understand. First of all, they're called no-show socks. Invest in them. As someone who lives in vans, I live in no-show socks. It's not... Blaine's allergic to socks, or Blaine has an aversion for socks. They're called no-show socks so that you you have clean lines. And not, like, an ankle sock sticking out of your shoe, you know, in, like, Urkel or something. Like, chill out. with. And the bow ties are adorable. The only time where I was like, what the hell is he wearing? Was in I Am Unicorn, when he had that pink bow tie, and then, like, the green striped shirt, and, like, suspenders, and I was like, who did Darren piss off their wardrobe, or, like, did he lose a bet? But I like his wardrobe, and as for the hair, for all intents and purposes, if I see Blaine as being mixed race, because Darren is mixed race, and my personal headcanon has always been 
that the part of Blaine's insecurity about his hair is because look at Cooper with his straight, like stick straight hair. You know, he gets out of the shower and air dries, you know, and everyone thinks Cooper is so beautiful. Like, look so at his reaction then, to um, Elliot. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, he's, his hair doesn't do that. And it's hard, you know, when you, when you are not the, when you don't fit in with the status quo and you've, you've got these things that are different about you. And especially when you're a little kid, you don't understand. Like, for example, when I was in the third grade, my friends were like, what do you mean you don't wash your hair every day? As an eight-year-old, I don't have the words to explain that as a black person and having coarse hair, it's bad for our hair to do that. You know, it's so the little kids see something that's different and they're kind of like, oh, you're different. I don't understand it. You know, and, and it gives you a complex about it. So. Blaine's very uncomfortable with his hair. And not only that, curly hair is a motherfucker. It is so hard to manage. And I straightened my hair for 33 years of my life because it was easier to manage when it was straight. Not even because it made it look more like the status quo, but just because it was faster. I could throw it up in a ponytail and go. And I honestly think that part of the gel, aside from being self-conscious about his hair is he can get out of the shower, slap a handful of gel in it, and go. That was my two cents on it. Um, I think these are all just superficial, too. I think that if you really dislike somebody because of, you know, how do I put this? Like, obviously, if they have, like, an offensive shirt on that says, like, women suck, okay, then yes. But, like, in general... If you're really that offended by somebody's hair, I think you need to rethink your priorities. I mean, I think a lot of it comes from people like how Darren wears his hair. But Blaine's not Darren. And people like, well, this isn't how I imagined Blaine would dress. And it's like, but, you know, you ain't gonna know. But I also think it comes from, I can't think of anything else to criticize about this person, so let's go for things that we think, yeah. But also, stop writing fan fictions where Kurt has the expertise about Blaine's hair and tells him how to wear it. A, a person with straight hair, just no, they don't know. B, it's kind of racist. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Stop writing that. There you go. Um, okay. Uh, I guess this is kind of two different things. I should have split this up. But, um, his betrayal as the less serious one, which is kind of funny, because, yeah, see, he can be pretty serious about things. Um, but also all the alpha gay shit. <laughs> Here's the thing. The thing that I think, I, I, not to step on your toes, Kate, but, like, yes, at first, when you first look at Blaine, he presents himself as passable, quote-unquote, I guess. But when you really look at the two of them, it's funny because I think that Blaine has a lot of effeminate um, characteristics. And I think oh, that Kurt totally has does. a lot of masculine ones. And I think that the need to quickly define, you know, alpha, gay, or, you know, 
we'll talk about the top bottom stuff in a minute, but like to put those labels on people so quickly, it, it's it really erases the complexity of these, who these characters are. I think it's that heteronormative, misogynistic and homophobic. There we go. Sometimes. But also all the stuff about Blaine passing and alpha gay and, Blaine is like, you know, trying to pass, or I don't know. I Blaine for me for one second has never passed a straight. Not one time from the time he was introduced has Blaine passed a straight for me. And I don't know if it's because I spend a lot of time with gay men. I don't know, but he's never he's never passed for me. So when I read fan fiction where he's he's closeted or, you know, Kurt can't believe he's gay, I'm like, it doesn't ring true to me because he he's always painted as gay to me. I also think issues between Kurt and Blaine on this kind of subject are about Kurt and Blaine's certain insecurities. Um, and not necessarily about actually being able to, like, pass or not pass as, you know, gay. Or if you really even, I mean, like, why, I can understand where this comes out of. I mean, Ryan Murphy being a gay man who, who probably always was seen as gay in a, growing up in a time period where obviously you, you didn't want to be gay or, like, shouldn't be or whatever, um, there were definitely times when people who could pass as gay were able, or pass as straight were able to have a lot of easier life than those that didn't. And that's a lot of where this conversation between the like, Kurt and Blaine, specifically in the like dance with somebody or wherever that comes out of, but in this day and age, who cares? But also I think that we're forgetting one thing that the alpha gay comment was a deflection Well, yeah, that's fighting. yeah, that too. Kurt was deflecting, deflecting Blaine. When did Kurt get a shot at me? Yeah. What show did that happen on? It was a he was deflecting, but also the thing about Glee that, that I think they got right was showing that being gay, presenting as gay, all of presenting, being a member of the LGBT plus community, presenting. And all this stuff is a spectrum. And they did a really good job of showing that there's not one type of gay man. There's, you know, there's Sebastian and Dave. And there's so many different ways that, you know, there's so many different experiences, you know. And do I wish that we had seen more of that for Santana and Brittany and, and lesbian and bisexual characters? Absolutely. Do I wish that we had seen that more? in other situations, like discussing race and the intersection of race and misogyny um, with regards to Santana and Mercedes and Tina? Absolutely. But, you know, that's what happens when the writer's room, that's the experience they're focusing on because the show was created and written by a gay white male. And so, you know, we didn't get the focus on these other things. But the show showed that it is a spectrum. And that's important to remember and assigning roles helps no one because those roles are based on really terrible things. 
Okay, so we're going to hit the big one next. Um, but before, I do have a real quick comment I want to make before we get really into it. But uh, one of the major, major complaints I always end up seeing of Blaine is that Blaine is a bad boyfriend. Now, before I let you go at it, Kay, um, I want to say something about Kurt that not I'm not going to say anything about the relationship with Blaine, but I think outside of that, his relationships with other guys, I, I, Kurt wasn't really ever a good boyfriend. Um, he, he wasn't with Adam, that's for sure. Uh, Walter wow. wasn't really a boyfriend, but like, you know, like he wasn't really great with that. I'm like, Kurt was not always the whatever. There's a very real possibility that Kurt cheated on Adam, depending on how they define their relationship. Yep. So it's just funny that I never see it as much criticism about being Kurt being a bad boyfriend as I do see I think Blaine to a fault is a good boyfriend until it blows up on him because of he you know what you know what I mean uh, we'll get into it um but it's just funny our kids in their first relationship you have to learn how to be with someone else and they're still learning how to be themselves, how to love themselves. And as RuPaul said, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love someone else? And that's what they have to, you have to learn how to be together. Look, the, on all of Glee, none of them are good boyfriends or girlfriends at first. None of them. I think the only ones that possibly, and maybe I'm biased, but the only ones where I could say he's a good boyfriend and she was a good girlfriend and even they had like a cheating moment within it because god no that's the other thing um cheating is a theme with ryan murphy every freaking couple on this show cheats in some manner or another tina cheated already with mike yep so that is when you, you, again, it's one of those context things. Like you have to look at the medium for which it's produced and Ryan Murphy is just happens to fixate on cheating. So what she Yeah, I know. Right. I think that, no, I think, you know what I think? I actually think that he cheated on somebody else and it was not forgiven for it. Yeah. That's what I think. But anyway, um, you have to look at the medium because what cheating means in the Glee world is not necessarily what it means in reality. There's just a different conversation about it because the way these characters interact and the way all of these relationships are, it's definitely like somebody who is like, and I say this as a writer who is writing themselves through this experience over and over and over again because of something that happened. Quinn cheated on Finn and she cheated on Sam. Sam cheated on I mean, no, well, he kissed that cheat. girl in, when he yeah. was in the cities. We could go through the whole list. I don't really want to, but everyone we could. cheats on everyone, and then on top of that, they're all sucky at relationships. The only person we should be holding responsible for how sucky they were in their relationship is Will Schuster because he's a grown ass man, and he should know better. But these kids are learning, and cut them some slack. They're kids. Oh, also with the cheating, uh, you know, and Kay, I'm going to let you have some time to talk about this, but I want to really 
really recommend if you are still caught up on the cheating um, to go back and listen to our Blaine side of the breakup episode that we did because uh, Honeysuckle Pink and uh, Teacher Gleek and I think there was one more person on this and I'm really sad that I, I, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, we had a very, very long discussion and we really went in depth about why Blaine cheated and how this was in character and um, there was a very, very good conversation there. So I do think, um, we'll go over it real quick and then I, I would like to give Kay a second to say what she wants to say, but please do listen to that because I think that there is a very, very good conversation that makes a lot of sense there. And, um, so yeah. I think that when Blaine cheated, he had convinced himself that Kurt didn't want him anymore. And as I said before, Blaine hurts Blaine. He makes impulsive decisions that are harmful to himself out of fear. And that doesn't make it right. And he hurt Kurt, you know, but I think ultimately what that did, as Bert said, to your self-esteem, what that did to Blaine and how he felt about himself I think is way worse than how Kurt felt about it. And I'm not downplaying that Kurt was hurt, but I think Blaine did more damage to Blaine um, than he did to Kurt at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know? Likewise, um, with the second breakup, like, I, and, and I, I really can't wait to talk about this in season six. That was Kurt's, you know, fuck up moment where Kurt hurt himself more than that. <laughs> you know, yeah. it took him a little bit to get to his brain, but uh, you know, each of these characters have their moments of screwing up and you know, it's really about second chances and you know, forgiving yourself for the bad things yeah, that you do. I don't know if I'm going to be on that podcast or not, but I also really parallel Blaine cheating with Jake cheating um, because of the, the effect it had on how they viewed themselves. But, um, those are the two most interesting cheating stories to me because in a lot of the other situations with the cheating, it's more about like, you know, Oh, I want, I want this. I'm going to have it. Like when, you know, Quinn and Finn, you know, it, unless I think Quinn, Quinn cheating with Puck was very similar. You know, she said, I felt fat that day. It was about her and how she felt about herself. Um, a lot of times, when you hurt other, you know, you do something that hurts other people, you hurt yourself too. And I just wish that, you know, people were more willing. I I think that people took the cheating. It's almost like Blaine cheated on them. Yeah. Well, and I have to wonder, a lot of people that I've been in conversations with, they're older and they've been in experienced relationships um, come to, they, they understand playing a little bit better. Whereas people just, I'm not saying everybody, I'm not trying to generalize everyone, but like a lot of people that I've come, you know, to see criticize Blaine for that stuff are people that are sometimes younger who have not had as many experiences, uh, with long-term relationships. Um, and it's really essentially about, you know, how Blaine deals with, you know, coming to terms with himself and his own insecurities. It's really about how after time passes and they heal, 
you know, where you get to in that point and how you are with that person after those things. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's not an easy thing. I can understand, you know, people being upset about it. That's definitely a warranted response, but I don't think that Blaine is a villain for it, though. The way that people took it, I was just like, jeez, Louise. It was just so intense and so harsh. You would have thought that, like, he kicked a puppy on his way to fuck Eli. Like, it was just like he killed Kurt. And I, it, cheating happens on a lot, a lot of shows. It's a common thing that happens on shows to create tension and drama. It's an easy go-to, you know? So I never understood why this particular act of cheating ha- got the response that it did. Oh, I know why. And, um, okay. I know why. Because, okay, and this is one of my... <sighs> My frustrations with, and this is why I get kicked out of um, being a Kurt Stan, um, it feels to me that, you know, you have this character who's your favorite character, and if anybody does anything that's bad to them, they're automatically kicked to the curb. Like, you don't worship my favorite character, therefore you are not no longer a good character. And I'm going to say, this is, first, I was a fan of Kurt from season one. You know, that was the reason why I kept watching the show was Kurt Mercedes. And one of the things that kind of, one of the things that kind of drove me away was this idea that both Kurt and Chris needed to be protected and wrapped in bubble wrap and because of things they had gone through in the past. And for me, again, give them some credit, you know? Like, this idea that, like, every time, you know, there's a joke in the script about a physical feature, you know, oh, my God, Chris must have been devastated because he was bullied. Even Chris is sick of the narrative of him being bullied, of him having been bullied in the past. Like, he's, he's said that. He doesn't need, you know, a fandom full of moms protecting him. And Kurt didn't need a fandom full of mom's protecting him it takes away their agency it doesn't give them credit for the strength that comes from having gone through these things and so a lot of it is like how dare you kurt's been through enough you know and it's just like calm down he'll get through this too you know and you know he doesn't you know he doesn't need that that like it's something i've never and part of me wonders like glee may be my first fandom that i like actively participated in like i've hovered and lurked you know bits and pieces in other fandoms but this is the first time i've actively participated in but glee is not the first show that i followed and so sometimes i wonder if because people are coming from fandoms that maybe aren't necessarily tv show fandoms but maybe there are people coming from like film and comics and books where things are fleshed out in a way that they can't possibly be on an ensemble TV show that it kind of kind of clouds the understanding of how these kinds of, you know, of how the story would unfold. 
and how these things work, whereas I watch a crap ton of TV. So there's very few things that happened on Glee where I was surprised or anything because I was like, yeah, that's pretty much, that's TV one-on-one. I should have known that was coming. You know what I mean? So um, I think that that colors it too. And But also I think people are just really, really protective of this particular character, and it doesn't help that when the show started, he looked like an itty-bitty baby. Yeah. Okay. Um, Blaine thinking that he's unworthy of Kurt. While he's insecure, insecure about his worth in general and fears that Kurt might leave him, Blaine does not think that Kurt is out of his league, nor does he go around feeling particularly grateful that someone like Kurt would ever date him. One of my biggest, that's another fan and pet peeve of mine. That's absolutely correct. Blaine is insecure, and sometimes I wish he loved himself more, but I don't think that he thinks for five seconds that Kurt's out of his league. No. Or that Kurt is, oh, he's the most beautiful person I've ever seen. He would never go out with a bridge troll like me. Like, nah, that kid knows he's, Blaine knows he's pretty. Yeah. Okay. Um, we, okay, this next one, again, we went over this in great detail almost twice in the first time, so I don't really want to get into it huge here, but uh, the famous quote-unquote, it, it wasn't rape, it wasn't even sexual assault, so I'm not going to call it that, but that scene in the parking lot and scandals. Um, you know, all this, like, blame sexually assaulted Kurt crap. Bloody uh, hell. I'm tired of talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah, I'm, um, it's getting late. We can kind of skip it. But I'm going to encourage you. We do talk about this in great detail in the first time that Blaine definitely crossed some lines and then he stopped when Kurt said no. And that was. And Kurt was on top and had full control the whole time. Exactly. Um, every, you know, that that's oh, just. Go listen to the first time, okay? I feel like at this point, if you really sincerely think that he sexually assaulted Kurt, nothing we're going to say is going to change that. Yeah, that's true, too. It's been 12 years in Azkaban. <laughs> it's been 84 years. Fighting about the, the freaking Titanic. <laughs> yeah, fighting about this scene. I don't have anything else to say about it. Um, okay, that he blames Kurt for his own bad behavior. When when does he do that? That doesn't even... Show me the receipts. You should just title this the one with no receipts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think, because... No, I don't think he does. Not really. Um, that Blaine needs Kurt and can't tie his shoes without him. No, Blaine is fine on his own. He is a needy person, um, but that's in general. Uh, I think that he, he's one of those people who needs people around him. He needs validation. He's very he's insecure about himself. Extra, first of all. Yeah, absolutely. But he can definitely tie his shoes with that. I mean, he was doing fine before Kurt. And, you know, Did you see him at that and he ran that place? He, at one of the points of season six, though, I know they didn't do enough blame point of view. But he was okay. He really was. He went to therapy. He was dealing with his breakup, dealing with his depression, and he was doing okay. 
I think if Kurt had never come back to Lima, Blaine would have been all right. He would have definitely broken up with uh, Krofsky eventually and gone off and done whatever, but, uh, like, okay. Kind of moving on to another topic, but Blaine is not any better or worse of a boyfriend than anybody else on that show, and that's the end of that story. (laughs) Can I get an amen? All right. Okay, um, kind of the same criticism we had over on the Kurt side. Blaine not being allowed to have feelings for other people. (sighs) Okay, so um, that he encouraged Sebastian or that he should have encouraged Sebastian. He didn't really, uh, whatever. Sebastian was going to do what Sebastian wanted anyway. Okay, first of all, do people not understand how it sounds when you say this guy had feelings for him and even though... Blaine was like, I have a boyfriend. When you say he encouraged him, like, it's almost like saying he was, like, it makes me very cringy. Like, imagine saying, um, imagine that this situation were, like, with Rachel. And there was a guy that was interested in Rachel. Rachel was with Finn, and she wasn't interested, but she was friendly with the guy, and the guy kept making passes at her. Would you say that she encouraged him? Like, it's very rape culture to say that. That's first. Um, second, it that was my big, like, after going through all of season four, where people were pissed that Blaine deigned to have feelings for Sam, that Blaine made eye contact with a guy while he was working out, and then Kurt gets to, like, grind on Santa, I was like, I want to see Blaine grind on someone else, you know, because we, Blaine, it just felt like he wasn't allowed to even look at someone else. Like he had to like be forever alone until Kurt forgave him. But like, you can love someone and crush on someone else. It's natural. It's normal. Not to mention if you're not in a relationship with the, the special stuff is a little different, but if you're not in a relationship with somebody he can have a crush on whoever he wants. It doesn't matter. And also, just because someone has a crush on you and you stay friends with them, doesn't mean that you're, like, encouraging their, them to, like, what? Like, that's, like, every nice guy who was, like, I was nice to you and you wouldn't date me or have sex with me. You know, you led me on because you were nice back. Like, what even? He was friendly with Sebastian. That Sebastian was a creepy fucker. That's not Blaine's fault. Is Blaine not supposed to be friends with any other gay man because he might, that gay man might be attracted to him? Meanwhile, meanwhile, the same people are drooling over the possibility of Elliot crushing on Kurt, like hypocrites. Uh, With the Sebastian stuff, though, I think something that maybe people miss about Kurt is that Kurt was very insecure about Sebastian. He was worried that Sebastian would swoop in and, you know, not in a big way. He wasn't really, like, really, really worried about it, but just... But, I mean, Sebastian was hot, and, you know, at first they were the only two gay dudes aside from Dave, and then here comes this third, like, super hot guy, goes to Blaine's old school. Like, I get, like, Kurt felt a way about Sebastian, but again, that's the type of thing where, like, don't wait until you're in the middle of the fight to be like, you can't texting him. Like, you know, how is Blaine supposed to know that even just being friendly with the guy, you know, um, was upsetting? 
But also, I got the feeling in uh, Hold On to 16, and I think we talked about it at that time, that Blaine had stopped responding. Yeah. Well, and we talked about definitely about Kurt um, and his insecurities about Sebastian and how they manifested. And, like, a lot, like, Sebastian kind of hit on a lot of things that Kurt felt not great about himself. And so... Sebastian kind of got under his skin in that regard. Uh, he wasn't really worried that he was going to lose Blaine, but the fact that he was always told that he wasn't good enough and too gay and too whatever always has been an underlining thing for him. So, of and course, yeah, he's not going to Sebastian. Yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> I always kind of thought so. One of the criticisms of. Um clean after season two i think that osiello guy brought it up i don't remember where this came from was the idea that they were only together because they're the only gay boys on the block and i always thought that introducing sebastian was a reaction to that to show that they were choosing to be together because here's a third gay guy and blaine didn't like run off with them even though he was really really hot you know like they're together because they like each other not because they're the only gay guys each other knows that kind of um argument kind of pisses me off because Again, this show is not about Clayne. It is about Rachel. But also, you can't... This is not the real world. This is a fictional TV show, and you have boundaries within your TV show. You can't... Like, you just... Oh, never mind. I just can't go down that. It's... A, okay. Take a deep breath. Okay. So... Um, did you feel like you need to say this? Because we can just totally skip over the against the odds thing if you want, but... I'm going to keep it real short. It's about Sam. Deal with it. If you want to know why and how and the reasons, we go over that in great detail on the Lima side of the Guilty Pleasures podcast, and I highly recommend that you listen to both sides because they were mighty fun. Um, but it's about Sam. You know what's funny? Like, Period. I feel funny that all of these t- we're like referring to my podcast over and over again. Like listen, like I wonder, did these people do they not usually listen to the podcast? Because I, I, <laughs> I feel like it, you know some of these might have been averted if you know you sit and you listened and you interacted with it and like I don't know whatever. Um, listen to the podcast, guys. It will answer. We try and answer. We try. We try every time. Some kind of this criticism stuff comes up within the episodes. I usually try to address it. So, Also, don't just listen, but like like some of the podcasts that I'm not on, if there's something I disagree with or have questions with, I'll, I'll straight out post about it on Tumblr and tag the people that were in the podcast so we can talk about it. You know, feel free to do that. You know, if there's something that one of us says in the podcast and you want us to elaborate or something. It's funny. Know? My guests are like, when are you going to do... Um, or when are you going to do fan questions? I'm like, I don't ever get any. So, um, uh, <laughs> here we go. Um, feel free. Okay. Uh, I have a lightning round little bit here. I call this my lightning okay. round. Ready? Uh, I mean, we have okay. lots more questions, regular questions, but this is the lightning round. Okay. So Blaine oh, is, okay. Blaine is an attention whore. Yes, but that's okay. Blaine is perfect. Yes, but that's okay. Okay, I'm kidding. He's not perfect. He wants... He, he tries hard to be, and he is a perfectionist. But he's not perfect, and he knows that. Blaine is obsessed with the spotlight to the Rachel Berry level. 
No, but if you were, it would be okay. Blaine will... <laughs> Blaine... Blaine shares the spotlight. In a, he's never seen anyone to a crack house, you know? And Blaine welcomed Marley into the fold. Yeah. No, no Blaine is very inclusive. He's very... He took his role as the new Rachel, not to mean that he was going to have the spotlight all the time, but to mean that he was going to lead the Glee Club and be their their voice. I mean, look at his no. his June Dalloway showcase. He drags Kurt into the spotlight with him. He went against show choir rules to lip sync to help Britney. You know, like he's very very inclusive in a way that Rachel never was. Blaine is selfless and always puts himself above. Uh, sorry, selfless and always puts uh, other people above himself. Not always. He has one more show choir competition. Blaine is selfish and doesn't think about anyone but himself first. This cracks me up in the same thing. People are going to, this is the the thing about criticism sometimes that, you know, all of these just, and they end up contradicting each other. Right. I'm like, okay. Um, no, he's not. No, I think he's more selfless than selfish. He's one of the most selfless characters on the show. Blaine is too impulsive. He can be when he's hurting and he's scared. Blaine is fake and hiding who he really is. No. I think that when he, I think that he um, has a a shell and it takes a lot for him to come out of it um, because he wants to be liked and he thinks that there are certain aspects of who he is that if he shows those, he won't be. But that doesn't necessarily make him fake. This next one must come from Bannon, because I, I don't even, I, I don't think I've even ever seen this criticism. Uh, Blaine is awkward. No, I never understood that. Where did that come from? Who's saying I that? Ha- I have no idea. But it also, you know, we never talked about Puppy Blaine, which I don't know if that's in one of the questions. I don't remember, because that's another bit of Bannon that I can't freaking stand. But um, I don't know where that came from. I don't know either. Kurt is awkward. Kurt's freaking awkward. Kurt's awkward as hell. But I love him for it. He's adorable that's awkward. That's the best part of That's one of my favorite things about it. That freaking canary in a coal mine joke? Jesus. Read the room. No, Blaine is very polished in a way. I almost feel like Blaine's parents sent him to, like, you know, charm school or something. It reminds me of, uh, you've seen A Hard Day's Night, right? Or was it Help? Where um, someone tells John they're going somewhere, and he t- and their manager says behave, and John goes, "We know how to behave. We've had lessons." That's kind of how I feel about Blaine sometimes. Um, this is another one. I have no idea where it came from, but uh, Blaine is shy. What? How? It's gonna no, be a Bannon thing. I don't know. No, he's not. Not even a little I bit. Mean, he sees a kid on the stairs. He grabs his hand drags him in the opposite direction of where they need to go and calls it a shortcut, then fucking has eye se- cheer sex with him while singing about his skin-tight jeans. <laughs> and that is in the first five minutes that we know him. Oh, man. Okay. Um, back to the regular questions. <laughs> that was fun. Um... Blaine is too much of a people pleaser and doesn't seem to know how to handle people being upset with him. He also often has a hard time accepting personal criticisms and winds up seeing them as attacks against him. 
Blaine is also a bit of a perfectionist and is way too hard on himself when he doesn't meet ridiculous standards that he's placed upon himself. And similar to what I wrote about Kurt, but not quite the same, when Blaine is emotionally affected uh, by something, he has a difficulty seeing things from another person's perspective. So um, this is where I bring up a little personality thing. I'm not going to go too deep into it, but it's kind of very similar to the Myers-Briggs and Blaine's type that like he falls into is very much about like um, fearing not having support and guidance and and needing security. And so I do think that that plays a role in his people pleasing. Like he, if he's a good boy, then, um, you know, he'll get the attention and people won't forget about him and people will love him if he's the best at, at this, you know, like, you know what I mean? It's not so much I need applause to live, more than it's like I, I need to do well, so that people will tell me that they love me. Right, and it's it's kind of interesting because I think that, like the hard time accepting personal criticisms and sees them as attacks against them. I I don't necessarily I don't even know if that. I word it that way. Um, I do think that he internalizes things. Absolutely. I wonder if some of that is a reaction to his reaction at the beginning of Puppet Master. Oh, I wonder. I don't know. But I also think that he was breathing in gas fumes for like a few days. (laughs) And he was menstruating. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, I, I think everybody, I, you know, I'm going to go out and say this. I think everybody's natural ability is to see things from their own point of view and that everybody has difficulty kind of saying, okay, taking a step back. There are other people on this planet. We all have an innate selfishness in us that really focuses in because we have to, we have to survive. We have to keep ourselves alive. We have to put ourselves first in a lot of respects. So just in general, I don't think that either Kurt or Blaine do it on, I mean, to any more of a degree than anyone else on the planet. So Uh I don't know if I, uh, hmm. um, that everything really does come easy to him. Uh, we see him working though. We see him working and planning that somehow he should apologize to everyone in the choir room because he's the leading man material. I ain't sorry about it. That's the thing. The show often, and Blaine is the character that this happened to the most, and I will defend him on this, that there was a lot of criticism of Blaine for one reason or another, and the show wrote that in um, to deal with it. And it really frustrated me because I do think some of it's unwarranted. This idea that Blaine just gets handed things the way Rachel did um, is not true. He, he definitely did work for a lot of things, so... Um, We've seen him doing it. And he was not favored the way Will favored Rachel. That's just... Whatever. That's uh, 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 no, not even a little bit. That his father was some horribly abusive monster instead of, like many parents, just a dumbass trying to do his best with his own limited point of view. Agreed. Um... It's like one line in one episode and it just spiraled into like this narrative and it's really unfounded, you know? Um, Lane has to get his communication issues from somewhere. 
And I just always kind of imagine that his family is shit at talking about things. And I'm sure the audience at this point is probably annoyed with me saying this, but we did a whole podcast on Blaine and family. Go listen to it. Check it out. Um, if you want to have more discussion on specific headcanons, that's totally cool. But, like, they're headcanons. We just don't have a lot of information to canonly say some one thing or the other. So everything is going to be a headcanon. So this, you know, assertion that Blaine's family has to be a specific way is unfounded. So that's my two cents. Um, and I agree. <laughs> I hear many people talk about the fact that Blaine suffered from a severe clinical depression. I don't think that it was that bad, though I clearly accept the fact that he was depressed because he couldn't cope with Kurt being absent and seemingly no longer interested in his life. But clinical depression is so much worse than that and would require long-term therapy for months, not years. Okay. I would like to say something to this fact first. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, um, we talked about this in an, an episode. I don't remember what episode we talked about this. Um, first of all, I want to say that, again, the conversation we kind of had with Kurt and personal experiences is kind of the same here. Um, that a lot of people project their own, you know, whatever. But I'm going to say this. There is a difference... Uh, oh, and I should preface it, I'm not a psychologist, so bear in mind. Um, there is a difference between clinical depression and situational depression. And I've been through situational depression. Um, my uh, One of my brothers has been clinically depressed. And he is a lot like Blaine, actually. Um, he has moments where he's really happy and really great. And then he'll, in private times, he'll be... Um, down, but he doesn't show that always outwardly all the time. And looking at these two characters, I can see Kurt's situa various situations as being the situational depressed that I have seen myself go through. But with Blaine, um, I can see, you know, that there is a, there could be a line of serious clinical depression, but I think that it is unfair to say just because he doesn't show, how do they word it? Um, I don't think it was that bad. Well, it, it's not a fair thing. It's the worst thing to say to a depressed person. Yeah, like my mom suffered from depression. Nobody knew, and there's a bigger conversation because I know in the black community, mental health and mental illness is not something that um, is handled well. My mom suffered from depression. Um, my sister brother didn't know that she had actually been considering suicide. Um, I knew because we talked about it. She told me and I didn't tell my siblings until a few years ago. Um, and I suffer from depression. Luckily I've never had any suicidal ideation or anything. And I'm on antidepressants now, but I still have my moments where I just want to sleep all day. And, but I'm also like the perkiest, most like, you know, optimistic, you know, I laugh all day. I laugh all the time. You know, it's my I love making people laugh. I love to laugh. Doesn't change the fact that my brain chemistry is set up in a way that I am. I have depression and anxiety and I take medication for it. And you would know that if you knew me because I'm laughing and smiling all the time. I'm not even it's not like I'm hiding it. I just like to laugh. Mm -hmm. So I think it is unfair 
to say that it didn't look that bad because we didn't always see all of the signs. Now, could you make an argument that Blaine is various levels of depressed? Sure. We can talk about, like, maybe, you know, somebody sees him as this kind of depressed and somebody else sees him as more depressed. That's fine. Those conversations are fine. But to completely dismiss, dismiss, you know, like, oh, this person's not mental, you know, they're fine, whatever. Just don't do that. Please don't. I do mean, that. You'll, we'll talk about it, you know, it'll obviously be talked about more when we get to the Loser Like Me and Homecoming podcast, but it's canon that Blaine was depressed. And he did go. And we don't know that he's not still going to therapy. I mean, we don't know that he's not on medication for it. We don't know any. We know he couldn't get out of bed. We know that he couldn't play music. You know, we. It's canon now. He said the words. So that's it. It 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 is. And I know a lot of. I mean, like. No, it's not stereotypical. You know. TV depression where people where you just burst into tears because that's not what it is anyway. No, I think that people have a misunderstanding of what depression is in general. Because you're right, a lot of people think, oh, you're depressed, and then you're just one of those people who are crying or sad all the time, and you're gloomy, and you just stay in bed all day. And like, yeah, you can feel that way at certain times, but you also like a lot of times with people who have clinical or long term depression, they will still go out and try and live their lives, but there's an underlying feeling that doesn't go away. It's like any other chronic illness, you know? Um, my IBS flares up. I was literally just on a two-month leave of absence from work because of it. Sometimes it doesn't flare up. I have to manage it and take care of it to make sure that if it does flare up, the flare-ups are short. And the more I manage it and the better I take care of it, the further apart my flare-ups are and the less severe those flare-ups are with the help of a doctor. Depression is very similar to that. With the help of a doctor, you can make sure that you're managing it and that when it flares up, you're handling it in a healthy way to make sure that those flare-ups don't last as long and don't get too severe and that there's more time in between them. Um, and you can't look at someone and you can't look at me until I have IBS. You can't look at me until I have depression because that, that's not how it works. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, um, it, it's, it's just the one unfortunate thing is that I think, you know, there are some real discussions about mental health and people dismiss mental health as just not being a serious thing or as being something that you can just get over. Um, and it's just not that kind of easy or that it's just this black and white, like this person is crazy. This person's not, it's just not that easy. Um, as somebody who's had many, many, many family members and have gone through myself some stuff, it's really sad. And, uh, when, you know, I see this kind of language being thrown out that we aren't taking mental health more seriously. So I agree. Okay, um, this one, yeah, I have thoughts on this last one. Um, also criticism from some of the fans that Blaine essentially took over Glee. I understand where they're coming from, and I've heard it mostly because Blaine was just, well, so like, well, he was written more, there was also more, um, he was written in more, but is there also another way to think or explain this? And I, I do have an answer um, to throw out there for this, actually. 
Um, it's a misconception that Blaine is in it more. He's actually, uh, if you look at seasons two and three, he's very much a minor character who doesn't really get any more or less than anybody else on the show. In season six, his point of view is very limited. In season four and five, they developed him more. But here's my thing. I think the reason this keeps coming up, like why did, you know, Darren and Good Blaine and whatever take up, why did Blee become a thing? It's because he sang a lot. And a lot of people who have this criticism were upset because Chris and Kurt were not singing as much. And that's the biggest thing that I see come out of this criticism. And um, that, uh, I've also seen that criticism in other parts of fandom. But again, it's because they felt like he was singing more than Artie. He was singing more than Mercedes. He was singing more than... Although, I don't think he was singing more than Mercedes. No, not, not, you know, he does a lot of singing in the beginning of season three, but then it kind of drifts off and he just doesn't, it's not until season four when he really sings a lot, to be honest with you, but. And Artie sang a lot, even when he didn't have a Yeah, Artie sang all the friggin' time. I love Kevin McHale's voice, so I ain't gonna argue it, but yeah, he sang, yeah, but it, yeah, it's because he sang all the time and people feel like, well, you know, my favorite character's not singing anymore. Well, your favorite character became a guest star. Yeah. Unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, you know, I, a lot of people, obviously, they come to Glee because they love the music, so that means a lot to them, and I'm not going to downplay that, but to me, it personally didn't, like, I, I like story more, so the fact that Kurt got way more story, I was fine with the lack of songs, but I, I like I said, I knew no people who really loved his voice and wanted more, and I get that. I get frustration with that. But don't blame Blaine or Darren for that. He didn't have a say in that. Let me tell you something. In season three, I would have traded last Friday night for a real storyline. I would have traded so many solos for a storyline. You know, I would have traded all the season three solos for one episode at his house with his family. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I have an iPod full of Blaine songs, and I'm very, very lucky. But I also have to do a podcast where I explain the character because he didn't get as fleshed out as a lot of other characters, and I have to do a lot of headcanoning to, you know, fill in gaps that, you know, as a you know, you're very lucky as a Kurt fan. He's got a full-fledged world. He's got a dad and a house and a childhood. And, you know, yeah, you have fewer songs, but you have a world built for your fave. You're lucky. I mean, I know I'm lucky. I have, a, like I said, I have iTunes full of songs, but I would have traded that easily. Mm. Yep. So, I... It- I believe it was also a thing that media could use as a weapon against, you know, whatever they wanted to against Glee. So, um, also, I blame a lot of this on Slezak and Osiello, those TV line guys. Like, they really, really, and after Elton or Backlot to a lesser degree, but they really, really fan those flames. And a lot of the people who did like Blaine kind of flocked to them. Okay, so the last one that I have actually came from you. Um, and <laughs> uh, 
Um, it is um, the Warblers uh, being uh, BFF with Blaine. It's something that drives me crazy. Because A, Glee has 1,100 million characters. So if you need to fill in Blaine's life, why are you going for these cardboard cutouts that don't even really have names? Um, and I blame that... I blame... I blame that Dalton fit. Oh. See, and I don't... I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with developing those characters within fiction, but, you know, if you're going to talk about canon... Blaine's best friend is Sam. His other best friend is Tina. He's very good friends with Marley. Um, he's very good friends with Rachel. You know, Santana seems to have a soft spot for him. He's part of the New Directions. He's part of that family now. Um, the Warblers, you know... I, I still... I mean, yeah. Well, I, I, the, my only thing is that I do think that... Like, it seems like he was still friends with Trent. I mean, like, I don't yeah. think that... Right, I mean, they... Those guys were complicit in a rock salt slushy that cut his, that uh, tore, like cut his cornea and he had to get surgery. Those guys are not going to be in the wedding. Yeah. The, him and Trent started together. He's the only one I think that you know they probably really did have a friendship. But I'm like, if you're writing something past season four, like those guys are not in Blaine's life. They didn't, you know, like if they were. Would they have allowed Sebastian to do what he did? Like, I don't know. I just, I, maybe it's because I personally just love the canon friendships that, that Blaine built at McKinley. Well, and my thing is, like, we, uh, to kind of go off your point, we don't know much about Blaine's relationship with the other Warblers, but you shouldn't use that as a weapon to undermine his friendships with Sam or Tina or any of the people in the new directions. At least there was one season, I would say like a season and a half of Dalton stuff and a couple of things sprinkled thereafter. But there's so much of Blaine at McKinley, so much basis. And I just hate that it gets ignored because people resent his crush on Sam and Tina's crush on him. Because there's good stuff there. I mean, and I, I don't want to be a hypocrite because, like I said, I resented Hummelberry. But I also see the value of it, and there's good stuff there. Yep. So that kind of wraps up um, the Blaine and Kurt individual sections of the misconceptions and myths. Um, we do have planned um, another plain and Fanon misconception stuff that we have, we're going to get to you, though it may be really sadistic and hold it for season five. Um, <laughs> Cause this is definitely its own little thing, but I hope you like mm. this one. Um, I hope that it brings out some positive conversation or, you know, you can disagree with our opinions. That's totally fine. Um, but I hope that if you do, you come at us with, you know, some understanding, hopefully maybe they help you understand the characters a little bit better. Um, I would like to, in the future, maybe do just a discussion on who these characters are, because I think something that I got out of this was that I feel like a lot of people maybe just don't understand how these characters operate or don't understand the personalities of these characters 
or the reasoning why these people are the way they are. And I think um, beyond the just wanting to hate a character because they don't like the way they are in another person's story, um, there seems to be a little bit of confusion over that. And I think maybe it'd be helpful to have a further discussion on defining who Kurt and Blaine are. Agreed. And I think it would be fun. It would be fun. So kind of like really going up on that. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Kay, for doing this with me. And I know you're going to be back for when we do the, the claim one, um, because we have questions for that all lined up. Um, so yeah. Um, have a great Sunday night. Missing puzzle piece. I'm complete. I was just.